Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. This is session number 41, is it, of uh, uh, season five? This is the final episode of season five, our final session, final episode. We wrap up season five uh, with the end of the Dagor Bragalach uh, here uh, this evening. Um, And... uh, this is so we have uh, once again we have another uh, full script uh, for this episode, which I spoiler Nick, which I enjoyed very much, uh, <laughs> and um, we have a lot to talk about. Of course, not only uh, the end of the battle and kind of wrapping up the uh, you know the, the the flow of the battle as we were looking at it last time, and kind of that overall uh, uh, you know narrative of where things get left there. Um, at the end of the Dagor Bragalach, but obviously Fingolfin's duel with Morgoth, which is a big deal, uh, a very big deal, and something we've been building towards for quite some time here. So um, uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump right into that very soon. But first, two quick announcements. Uh, one is uh, I'll do these in reverse order. Um, our next regional moot is. Uh, beginning to approach November 6th, 2021 uh, is Baymoot in Berkeley, California. You can go to signumuniversity.org slash events uh, to sign up for that. You can uh, join us in person. I'm going to be uh, heading out there physically uh, to uh, Berkeley for the Moot. Um, and of course, you can also join us digitally as uh, it is, like all of our regional Moots, going to be a fully hybrid experience. So, um, uh, looking forward to Baymoot and getting back out to California and meeting up with folks there. Uh, invite you uh, to join us in one way or the other there. Secondly, uh, we uh, have uh, we've launched our new space program. Our space program, which stands for Signum Portals to Adult Continuing Education, uh, is a program uh, a, a continuing education program which provides lots of different opportunities for really fun learning. Um, Whether you want to be learning languages, continuing to develop languages you've already studied, uh, studying fantasy fantasy literature, other humanities, uh, participating in a creative writing workshop, uh, so many things uh, that you can do. And I invite you to check that out at signumuniversity.org slash space. And I uh, talked about that last weekend, so uh, last Saturday... uh, uh, in our fall fundraising campaign webathon that we did ending the campaign last Saturday, um, uh, which, by the way, thanks very much to everybody who uh, has made donations this year. Of course, it's not too late, even though the campaign is over. Um, but we have had a wonderful fall fundraising campaign. Um, our annual fund is already over $80,000, which is higher than our whole goal for the entirety of last year. Um, our goal for this year is $100,000, which is a, a hitherto uh, unhinted-at goal uh, for the Signum Annual Fund. And we are already quickly approaching it uh, and uh, less than $10,000 short of our all-time record for uh, annual giving. So uh, it's been a wonderful fundraising season. Thank you so much to everybody uh, whose generosity has contributed towards that. Um, But anyway, if you go to uh, our uh, Signum University uh, um, 
uh, YouTube page, you can see the recording of my State of the University address, which I gave uh, on Saturday. And in that, I give full details about our space program, the rationale behind why on earth are we doing it, um, uh, what is it meant to do, and how does it work. Uh, all those questions I answered on Saturday, so I encourage you to... Um, go to YouTube and check that out or and just go to our webpage at signumuniversity.org slash space. So that uh, is uh, the, stu- the exciting things currently happening right now at Signum University. And now back to the scene of action here in Northern Beleriand. So um, I'm going to need some reminders about exactly where we left things off so we can we kind of... Um, uh, get some reminders here on this overall map, uh, right, Nick? We get some uh, um, some recollections here. Yes, yes. So what we have here is this is interesting. I don't recognize this portion of the map, but <laughs> well, let, let me let me go back to the the other maps here. So this is the yeah. which one? Okay, let's see which one. Uh, where did we end up? This is the whole flow, so- right? Right. So if you yeah. go to the to map number, uh, so that's the first one, right? That's where we were originally. By the way, you're not on. Uh, yeah, sure I just one. realized that too. Okay, there we go. All right. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Uh, if we go down to let's see the this one. This looks right. Yes. This looks okay. like the end of episode uh, twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So we had here in the in the flow of the battle itself, we had essentially five different um, uh, sort of centers of action, right? Five different right. places where we were focused. One, of course, was Dorthonian, the, inig- the initial uh, recipient, right, of the wave uh, from uh, Thangoradrim. Uh, both of the fire itself, of the initial onslaught of the orcs, and, of course, of both the Balrogs and the dragon, right? So we had Ladros completely swept away uh, and refugees running. Uh, we had Angrod and Ignor, uh you know, uh, bravely doing what it amounted to a, a rear guard action there, right? Uh, where they were and having them both killed by Balrogs. Um, while uh, Andreth uh, and the other refugees from the House of Baor in Ladros were escaping there in the Pass of Anok down towards the Forest of Brethil. Um, while, of course, we had split them up, right? And we had Barahir and the other warriors of the house um, who were... Uh, what was their initial plan? Like, why did they? What they were keeping? They were they were going to guard the passes. I know while the uh, while the rest of yes. the people escaped. Yeah. Um, so the initial plan was like during the conversation, it shifted from a situation where Barahir was going to stay there in Ladros with all of their warriors and hold back anything that tried to come through. Um. As the as the refugees fled towards the pass of Anak, um, and he was convinced by a number of people to instead um, retreat, kind of behind the refugees right. a little bit more slowly. And uh, Bregolus decided to make a, a last stand with some of the other older guys. Um, right, they were the real, real rear guard up there in Lagos. Right. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Um, although they were rear guarding against Glaurung, and, and I imagine that did not 
take very long to <laughs> right right uh, to go horribly more of a more of a speed bump uh than a yeah. uh, uh than a wall uh yeah. really yeah yeah um Right. Uh, but of course, we also had one of the uh, one of the sort of subplots there with Bari here uh, and his mm-hmm. men in particular was there awaiting Finrod. Like they were yes. they were anticipating the coming of Finrod from the south. And so they yes. were sort of holding out, waiting for Finrod to come, uh, yes. hoping and expecting that he would come to help and to deliver them. Right. Or at least to mm-hmm. assist in delivering them, though the whole deliverance thing seemed to go a little bit further and further downstream. Right. As they yeah. as things yeah. continued there uh, in Northonian going from bad to worse. Um, yes. OK. And then, of course, so Finrod is the second. Sto- I'm arbitrarily numbering them right here. Um, Finrod is then the second story um, in that he so he, we have him hastening up. Uh, from Nargothrond and eventually arriving at Tolsirian, though too mm-hmm. late, right? Even before yes. he arrives at Tolsirian, Angrod and Ignor are dead, f- of which he, uh, you know, receives like telepathic intelligence, right? He can sense their yeah. deaths um, uh, from a distance. And so he's already mourning by the time he arrives in Tolsirian and talks to Oradreth. And now remind us about his conversation with Oradreth before right. they leave Tolsirian. So Oradreth has been observing most of what's been going on in Ardgallon from the top of the, of the Tower of Guard. Right. And he's realized that the orcs have entrenched themselves around the Fens of Sarek, which is the same exact thing that they did um, in the lead-up to the Dagobragalot. Right. And so, what's that? Dagobragalot. Dagger Aguilar, yeah, yeah, Dagger That other battle, the one that went much better, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, 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 the much smaller one, right? (laughs) And so he um, he tries to convince Finrod, hey, maybe we don't walk into the very same trap that we walked into last time. (laughs) And Finrod's like, what do you want me to do? I I I don't have a choice. I have to do something, right? Right. The alternative Uh, is to to do nothing. And right. and and his only hope really was that, of course, like yes, it was the same trap as last time. But last time, the entire army of you know Morgoth was there, and obviously right. the entire army of Morgoth is busy in lots of other places. So right. maybe right. they're gonna gonna have a chance to break through here. And he's trying to get to where because they know that Fingolfin is out on the field of Argallon. He's hoping to be able to meet um, Fingolfin somewhere out there on uh, on the field on the plain. Mm-hmm. Uh, which of course does not happen. Um, right. right. Okay. So we last left Finrod. So Finrod marches north and mm-hmm. finds the defenses there in the Fen of Serek, in fact, defended by fairly large quantities of orcs. Uh, right. And we left him, we left him under assault. Like he was being attacked we, we, by the orcs. We left him getting ready to go. Getting ready to go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we left him getting ready to go off into a uh, uh, trap against which his nephew Oradreth has already right. warned him. Right. Okay, um, and they are mar- they are basically trying to hug the mountains um, and the hills on the. Um, I'll do it on this side because that's the correct side on the um, camera. Um, on the eastern side of on the, the valley, um, trying to like punch through in a in a single point also to avoid the the horns of the um uh, of the uh, earthworks that are there right right so. okay great 
which of course then said he is attempting to break through to go and to reinforce and assist Fingolfin. So we'll go to Fingolfin number three as our the third of our five different fronts here uh, for mm -hmm. this widespread battle. Um, and Fingolfin was initially just watching, right? Watching as, I mean, because they could see from Barad Eithel the, uh, the fire sweeping across Ardgallen and, well, fin Fingen could, yes. right? And yes. then he was waiting for Fingolfin to come up right. from, uh, from Mithrim. Uh, yes. And of course, so we have the House of Hador, uh, you know, there we have Fingen and his dudes there, and we have Fingolfin coming up, and they decide uh, to set out to basically see if they can. Um, uh, they're coming to try to help Dorthonian to see if there's there's any way that they can help Dorthonian. Um, they're in the midst of a decision point um, in that last scene. So um, they're basically in between Fangordrim and um, and Dorthonian. I've essentially mentally placed Thang um, Angban like due north of um of the main area of Dorthonian where uh Ignor and Angrod were set up. Right. Uh, which of course is not on the any map that Tolkien right. ever drew and but that's where I have it in my head. Right. <laughs> right. So um Yeah, that's always about where it's been in my head too. Like you know yeah. imagine it snuggled so, up against the edge of the arid Wethrin over there. Yeah. So right. yeah. 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 So they could turn north and go directly directly to the source or they can turn south and see if there's anybody in Dorthonian that they can help in any way right. and of course before they can actually make that decision suddenly they Balrogs. get attacked right and yeah. that's what we got at the end last time um, Gothmog in person leading uh, essentially a big chunk of the army that yeah. went south against Dorthonian which is now yeah. done burning Dorthonian down uh, and is turning north under Gothmog uh, to attack right. Fingolfin um, by the way one of the things that I really I don't think I said this last time but I really like the fact that um, uh, we get um, uh we get a little like moment almost of recapitulation, right? Fing Fingolfin, who is all like, "Hey, let's go on an offensive and attack Thangorodrim." Like, there he is with an army. <laughs> There's Thangorodrim, basically, you know, looking essentially defenseless, right? Uh, and so there's this one moment where you know uh, Fingolfin is there, like, hmm. About that offensive, right? I mean, not that he's necessary, you know, that that's necessarily the direction that he's going to go. But it, there's a there's a fun irony, right? That yeah. uh, one of the outcomes of this particular is that at least for a moment, it looks like Fingerodrim yeah. is going to be open to an offensive from Fingolfin, and that's kind of fun, right? Yeah. We wanted to create multiple opportunities in these two episodes where the audience would be like, "Oh, Fingolfin's going to do something." Right, and then he doesn't, and they're disappointed. Like, oh, he didn't actually go attack Thangorodrim. It would have been cool to see that. Right. Yeah. Right. He didn't actually fight a Balrog. That would have been really cool. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. So we're gonna have them thinking that, so that when it does come at the end, they're like, "I take it back. I take it back." Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to see it. Yeah. 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 Can we go back to Fingolf and not actually accomplishing anything yet? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's good. I like that. I like that. Okay, so he's so he's at that moment where he he could turn north to Thangorodrim, he could turn south to, even though I mean I would think it's it's already 
obvious from a distance, right? That yeah. there's there's no helping Dorthonian at this point. Um, right. And that's when, of course, then we got the uh, uh, assault of the Balrogs and the Orcs from the south. Um, and it, that was really just beginning to intensify, right? The Balrogs were just like coming up and approaching their line when we came to the end of episode 12, right? Essentially, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. All right, so then shifting over uh, to the Eastern Front over there where we have the Sons of Fanor. We had the Sons of Fanor. I've said five, but really there were there were six because there were three different yeah. places where the Sons of Fanor were, right? We have... Um, uh, uh, you know, Amros, who's down in the south, but we have uh, 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 Mithros, who is on his own in Himring. Um, yeah. We had Kelgorm and Kurufin, who were with their cavalry in the Pass of Aglon, they're right next mm-hmm. to Dorthonian. And then we had um, uh, Maglor and Carinthir, uh cheerfully keeping each other company um, at uh, the uh, other pass. The, mar- the yeah the Maglor's Gap yeah Maglor's Gap yeah of course yeah. right yeah up at Maglor's Gap okay which and... doesn't have a name of its own apparently right right exactly okay so um and we have first the uh, eventual routing of the arrogant cavalry of Kelgorm and Kurufin uh, who yeah. get uh, basically undone by the first ever assault uh, in mass of uh, the warg riders right which mm-hmm. is um a pretty good anti-cavalry technique. Um, uh, and uh, they barely escape, right, and uh, yeah. and get away. Yeah. So th- uh, they have fortifications there that they retreat to initially. Yes, right? um, which does stop the the war riders yeah. pretty cold. But unfortunately, Darthonian's completely fallen. And so, the or- so a bunch of orc infantry just marches around from behind them, and now they've got no protection whatsoever. And right. their only hope is to just get out. Right. So they just flee south uh, across yeah. Himlad. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, their arrogance, perhaps ineffectually humbled, uh, yet yeah. nevertheless. Uh, not not quite yet humbled. Not yet humbled, but still dis, uh, fleeing. Humbled is such a strong word for what's going on here. <laughs> Especially when applied to, frankly, any son of Feanor. Uh, any yeah. would probably be a better word. There you go. Yeah, this is Kelogorm and Kurofin. <laughs> exactly. They're not humble. Under any circumstances. They are, the, they are the second least humbled of all of the sons of Feanor. Um, speaking of which, uh, the least humble of the sons of Feanor, um, I think perhaps at this point, uh, is uh, Karinthir, uh, who with Maglor, also they lose Maglor's gap. And that's where Glaurung comes. Right. Yes. Glaurung is the one yep. who breaks through Maglor's Gap. Um, so, and we have a near conflict, like a near, you know, it's one of those moments where Karanthir and Glaurung almost fight, right, in front of the gate. Nope. Hang on. Um, I seem to have suddenly lost their audio, which is not so good. As I was saying, uh, when you guys cease to be able to hear me, um, uh, at the battle at the uh, the uh, March of Mithros, we had uh, or the Magor's Gap, we had um, the uh, a near confrontation between Glaurung and Carinthir, right yes. uh, in front of the gates. Yes, but then Carinthir ran away um, with uh, uncommon 
prudence on his part. Uh, mm-hmm. And the uh, defenses were lost and they retreated. Um, Maglor, of course, said very sensibly, let's go back to him. Let's retreat to Himring, where uh, Mithros is uh, uh, holding the, the line. And mm-hmm. instead, Caranthir was like, no, I'm going to go back to Lake Helleborn in my keep there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so we had Caranthir, who is number four there on our map, retreating mm-hmm. back towards Helleborn, while number two, Maglor, uh, is heading over to join number one, Mithros, who is enduring uh, uh, an assault on Himring, um, but standing firm. Um, by the way, well, now we'll get to this in a minute. Okay. And so that's where we were. We had Himring under assault, right, while the other two spots in the east were lost. So we have orcs being able to go in all around, but Himring still standing in the middle, right? And we had Glaurung more or less in pursuit of Karanthir. Did we see that that was happening at the end of last time? Or did we not know what was come, what was become of Glaurung? We didn't know what was becoming of Glaurung or Karanthir. Um, or Karanthir. Karanthir was okay. was fleeing, and Glaurung was like, hmm, that guy. Okay. He smells right. shiny. <laughs> right. Um, but didn't we have? Uh, didn't we? Didn't we know that Magwar and Karanthir were were splitting up? Yes, that's okay. true. We, so that we did. We, and and Karanthir did say he was going to keep Hellborn. We just didn't see him. We, there we didn't see it happen. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and, uh, let's see. Great. Um, and, all right, and that's it. So that's where we were with all yes. the things at the end. La- okay. When we last left our heroes. When we last left, left all of our yeah. heroes, that's where the, all of them were. Okay, because, I mean, this is a... It's, a, it's a complicated setup, so I want to make sure that I'm remembering... <laughs> Everywhere we got uh, here. Uh, the Dagor Bragalak is not a trivial battle to try to coordinate on screen. To call it a battle is really, like, I don't know what possessed Professor Tolkien to use the word battle to describe right. this. Because it's right. not a battle. It's very clearly a short war. <laughs> right, right. It's like a campaign on many fronts, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. In the and tale it, of years, it lasts a year. <laughs> right, fancy I mean, two years. It, it starts yeah. in four fifty five and ends in four fifty six. Yeah. So, right. it takes time. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I mean this is uh, this is enormous. Whereas at least even the um, uh, you know the near ninth Arnoidiad, which is of a sort of similar scope, it still it has like is still so much more contained and focused, yes. you know, than the Dagor yeah. Bragalak. I don't think yeah. um, essentially they can see each other. Like even the different yeah. um, fronts can see each other. Uh, at yeah. least that's been my understanding of that, of how that worked. Right. Right. At least at, at least at one point or other, they got mm-hmm. to that point where they were inside of each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're not looking at army, separate armies advancing to, totally different parts of the continent. Um, but um, it really does... Um, one of the things that's really interesting, and of course I know this comes out in the episode, but just to kind of, like, while we're talking about the scope of the battle, um, the magnitude of this battle is fascinating, right? You know, we had 
the failed battle, you know, from Morgoth's perspective, right, of the Dagor Aglareb, the failed invasion, um, which was a much more focused invasion, which seems much more likely to succeed, right? Like to mm-hmm. like one single like punch through the lines at one point. And so like that didn't work out. So plan B is we're just going to attack everywhere, every everybody everywhere, right? We're going to we're going to take on the entire siege all at once. Um and although this does certainly have the effect of preventing them from coming together and collaborating as they did at the Dagor Aglareb, right? Mm. It requires like an order of magnitude more in terms of military strength uh, from Morgoth. Um, and so it, um, it makes... Morgoth has not been idle for the last 400 years. <laughs> right. He's been building armies. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. But the, the thing that I find really interesting about it is that, of course, like, ultimately, the criticism, right, is it was still too soon, right? His forces were yes. not strong enough. Um, and so it's a fascinating thing to kind of look at what we've been showing here. Right. Mm. I mean, the, the, the massive military might, which has, um, you know, been successfully assaulting, you know, so there've been successful assaults on what one, two, three, four fronts, five, if you count Fingolfin right out on the plane. Um, you know, so five out of those six assaults that we were looking at, um, have all succeeded essentially, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, Himmering alone was the only one who that was holding out, and that wasn't looking good when we left it uh, yeah. there. So again, it's it's hard to look at this and be like, yeah, you know, it's uh, too bad it wasn't stronger, you know. Yeah. Um, but in it the brings, end, like, yeah, that's the that's the reality. It brings to mind the the German uh, offensive in Russia during World War Two. Uh, because it was immensely successful at first and just swept the Russians off the field. It was absurd. They were capturing tens of thousands of soldiers at once. That's why like half of their 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 labor camp force was Russian captured Russian POWs. Right. And they got hung up at certain points. And unfortunately those were points that Hitler really had a thing for taking. Uh, well, I mean, I say, unfortunately, fortunately, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Depending on your uh, point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it's not dissimilar from what's happening here. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So let's, Go back to the so here's our overview of the um, episode, right? The episode thirteen. Um, mm-hmm. So of course we're picking up immediately where we left off. What was the last scene? The very end was the attack of the Balrogs on Fingolfin, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. That was the very end. Okay, which is where we pick up in this one also. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we've got Fingon and Fingolfin dealing with that counterattack from Gothmog himself and his large army. Um, and then we've got Finrod running into difficulties, as predicted by Orodreth. Uh, those are the two things happening in the Western Front. Um, yeah. We have uh, Mithros holding Himring against Bulldog. So we did make the change that Bulldog was going to yeah. be the dude taunting yeah. I made Mithros. The, swapped yeah. them out. Um, yeah. Basically, Sauron and now um, Galton. Wow, I can't remember his name. Gorgal the Butcher. Gorgal, yeah. 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 Are now together at um, 
Fens of Zarek, which yeah. gave us the ability to kind of um, do deal with some of the antagonism that would necessarily arise uh, if Sauron were suddenly thrust into command over an army of orcs that he doesn't really care about. Um, right. Right. Yeah, and I mean, interesting. The, while his own captains are elsewhere, I mean, Drogluin is there, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, out in you know at Himring, right? Yeah. Is is where Drogluin yeah. is? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's right, right. Okay, and then over in the eastern front again, we have Mithros uh, holding Himring, and then Glaurung, right, pursuing uh, uh, yeah. Karinthir to keep Helivorn, um, mm-hmm. which of course, as we have. Yeah, as we recall from the text and have set up uh, in many earlier episodes, um, Carinthir is the wealthiest of the sons of Feanor, uh, has the greatest horde uh, because of his taxation of the roads, uh, you know, from the uh, with and the trade with the dwarves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, having the dragon make a beeline for Cape Helivorn is I I really I really like that. Um, uh, okay. So that's sort of our overview. And of course, we have uh, our frame. Um, our frame is the escape, um, you know, it's a, the end of the story. So it's the escape of, uh, of the older brother with uh, Inkanus Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the beginning of the episode is the final confrontation, right, between the older between brother the and brothers. the younger brother. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then at the end, we have the older brother escaping with Gandalf. Right, mm-hmm. including a final scene of them arriving at Minas Tirith, didn't we, yeah, something just like a, that. A single shot, essentially. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so, Western Front. Uh, let's start with um, Fingolfin uh, and uh, Fingen. So you you yeah. did some uh, a little um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can talk you through sketches. that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So we started it, here, right? Yeah. Hang on. Let me pull that up to where I'm. Okay. There we go. All right. Yeah. Uh, this is so. This is the final scene at the end of the last episode, or at least right. one of the the final scenes. Um. And then the next map shows when Gothmog arrives. Right. Um, so, th- so this is so th- there is there is so they're not just standing by themselves. Like there is an are there are, there are a bunch of orcs there. And they are, Fingolfin looks like he, they're they're just, they're taking care of business, right? I mean, like as far as both, as far as they're, you know, like individually in the individual conflicts and tactically one army against the other, Fingolfin has these orcs just exactly where they want them. And it looks like Fingolfin is completely in control, right? With his, uh, uh, and and our, our three major elements of his army that we have to keep track of, right? Are the, yeah. the, the heavy infantry of Fingolfin, mm-hmm. um, the heavy cavalry of Fingen, and the light cavalry of the House of Hodor, right? Right. Okay. So then, at the very end, we had Gothmog unexpectedly coming in and attacking the heavy cavalry from the flank, right? Yes. yes. And so now Fingolfin's in- infantry is trying to turn, and they've got this other army of orcs that they had been soundly whipping now on their right. flank as they try yes. to turn around to the south. Um, and uh, this uh, uh, red dude way over here on the left-hand so, side, th- yeah, those are... a detachment of war riders coming up to right. stop the, um, the human light cavalry from being right. able to protect Fingolfin um, on that side. Uh, so this is this is a terrible position 
for Fingolfin to be in. And if we weren't dealing with Nolnor versus Orcs, like this, the Fingolfin's army is toast here. All right. 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 Um, they've the they've gone from time. being tactically completely in control to being in an utterly untenable tactical position. Right. Now, the next scene we're going to see them in is the first scene of episode 13, which is going to be a um, either a few days into their fighting retreat back to um, Barad Ethel. So here they found a place within the ripples of, of cooled magma to, to kind of... Um, Defend, basically? Set up a, 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 a defensive position so that they can rest a little bit. Um, n- at this point, um, we have Fingen's cavalry split, split into two different divisions uh, protecting the flanks, uh, whereas the Dol- um, Dorloman cavalry is working its way along the um, on the right flank, right flank, um, to trying to skirmish with the orcs to try to help. Basically, they're trying to make sure that Fingolfin's much smaller army does not get outflanked. Right. And it's important to remember, I I want to go back and reemphasize one of the points that you had just made. Um, It is still true now, as it was in the Dagor Aglareb, that Noldor versus Orc is still really no competition. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so an army of Noldor, uh, outnumbered by a large quantity of Orcs, are still pretty much in control. That's why the so I, I I I say this because this is why the tactical situation is so important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they need to be not. It's not just a matter of like the two armies coming together and oh, but on this day the armies of Morgoth proved the stronger. Uh, like the armies of Fingolfin are, you know, person for person, way way stronger than the armies, yeah. except with the Balrog, significant Balrog exception, right? Uh, but. Like anytime I had to to threaten somebody, I got to throw trolls at them. It's ridiculous. Right. Exactly. The, or so the, the, the orcs, they can like overwhelm with their numbers. Right. But that's their only hope. Right. They can't. uh, Well, Fingolfin's whole thing, like he has to keep the orcs in front of them. As long as he can keep them in front of them, they're fine. Right. right? It's when they, anytime they start to get out flank, that's when they start really running into trouble. Right. Right. Um, and in the next map, because um, this is all in one scene, these four maps here. Okay. Um, so they start off. So when we return to them, they have retreated somewhat and they're in a sort of a defensive, uh, yeah. vaguely defensible kind of position. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that's so. That's a, and just, I'm just making sure I understand. So the black yeah. wavy lines here are meant to be like the lines of magma, the like right. heaps of magma that they're they're right. ba- essentially defending here. Right. Right. Right, because okay. this is on Ardgown, which is going to become Enfalglyph, but right now is a random lava pool. Right, exactly. Uh, but it's been some time since the lava swept down, so it's right. it's it's hardened and okay. Yeah, great. Uh, so, uh, so things start falling apart. I'm just going to kind of like yeah, narrate yeah, this a little bit do, because yeah. I didn't have time to label anything. So um, up up on the left flank. The cavalry that was protecting the left flank is unable to maintain their position, so they have to pull back. Um, now, at the beginning of the scene, um, Fingen sends word to Fingolfin that this has happened, uh, so that Fingolfin is aware that they're not going to be able to hold, uh, that, they, that they're about to get on, uh, outflanked on that side. 
Fingen is still is, Fingen and uh, Galdor and Gundor are still protecting the right flank to in, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So they have a certain amount. They have some options here, um, and Fingolfin is going to use one of those options to give himself a little bit of space um, in order to be able to retreat in good order, essentially. Because it, the the important thing was I couldn't have them run all the way back to Baradethel because A, that's not super interesting, and um, B... It's really far. <laughs> it's a long way. Like you, yeah. you can't you can't sustain a route that long. Like you're right. gonna get cut to ribbons. So. Right. And again, this is the thing that orcs are good at. Right. Orcs yeah. are good at pouncing on people from behind in numbers when they're running away. Right. They can't right. take them on. They can't successfully uh, with uh, much success um, take them on head to head. But this is the constant threat that they're gonna just be overrun uh, right. by the orcs. Right. So okay. in the next one, okay. So Fingolfin has um, taken a large amount of his central um, his central army and done a small offensive to just knock the orcs back on their heels long enough to start making their retreat because they're not going to be able to hold this position as the um, as the orcs sweep down from the north. And this, again, is made easier by the fact that they can almost scatter the arcs when they right. when they charge. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and you've got the heavy cavalry still. They're the ones on the bottom of the screen there on the right defensive yeah. flank. Right. And, well, also, and the the um, cavalry from Dor Loman are down here as well. Um, they're okay. a little bit fur- further up because their whole job is to basically just hammer the the outskirts of the enemy to keep them from being able to form up and start making a flanking maneuver. Okay. Okay. And, but, but the rest of the infantry has begun to retreat here. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. And then. Right. Then it becomes a, this is, this is where it really starts getting messy. So the orcs now are taking the defensive geological formation right, um, right. Fingolfin is in full full retreat not a route but a full retreat um, before the orcs um, now that small body of heavy cavalry from the from the left flank is no longer like they can't do anything anymore so they're trying to just get out of the way um, but importantly a, a cadre of Balrogs and trolls have driven a wedge in between. Uh, has just like so that's that's this one down here at the bottom, right? Yeah, yes, the, the, yes. the the right. Okay. Yeah. So they have attacked Fingen's cavalry and killed a number of them, and in doing so, also they've cut off um, the cavalry from Dorloman, who were receiving orders to kind of pull back because Fingen could see that they were kind of overextending themselves. Uh, right. But, you know, as humans, we're a little impetuous. Um, and this is actually kind of going at something, and, and I think this is going to come out in our conversation about the um, the final discussion between Finrod and uh, Andreth about yes. the way humans think about their own lives, um, okay. at, at least at different times during history. Um so 
they're they're kind of putting themselves out there on the line and they wind up getting cut off in this uh in this battle right okay so yeah so we lose communication with them and we don't know what came of them but it's especially ominous considering that it was like gothmog and the balrogs that cut them off from the rest of the uh you know from the rest of the elves so the action follows fingen and fingolfin right as they retreat yeah okay okay um and then we we don't return to them for for a bit right yeah yeah okay um so remind yeah, this was me all in, in the first the in the very in the first, first scene. scene. Yeah, the first yeah. scene, right. Okay, so remind me of the flow um Actually no, wait. Let's not do the flow. I'm I'm trying to cuz I I really liked the way that the episode flowed. It was one of the things Nick that I admired most about the script. Um was how it balanced the action and um uh simultaneously did not like allow us to forget um you know things happening on the different places while also having a a, i I thought that was a really satisfying like forward momentum of action through uh the whole thing so i wanted to kind of go over that chart do you want the the gantt chart uh for the the two episodes I'll, I'll grab that for you. Sure. Yeah. We might want to go over that. But anyway, okay. So, um, but let, let's finish sort of talking through the yeah. Western Front more generally here, and then we can kind of look at the the way that that yeah. all kind of flows together. Um, so the House of Hodor, which had vanished, is going to come back and uh, be heroic uh, yes. at the end. <clears throat> and this is right at the retreat into Barrett Ithel, because of course yes. the the trickiest part of the retreat is how to get across the narrow causeway and into the building without Gothmog coming right with you <laughs> up the causeway and right. through the gates, right? Yeah. Um, so you have the heavy infantry, of course, holding down at the bottom, uh, trying to, uh, and and so the cavalry gets in. Right. right, the uh, the Fingen's cavalry gets in uh, through right. the gates, um, mm-hmm. and then we're trying to figure out how to withdraw the infantry. Right, right. It's essentially the 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 Battle of Long Island in a way where um, the Battle of Long Island, which I'm deeply familiar with because that's where I'm from, um, <laughs> that's right. where Washington is trying to get his entire army across the Hudson in the middle of a foggy night under the right. guns of the. Of right. the British Navy, right, right, right. and he's right. just, you know, like there, like there's a bunch of guys standing out on the shoreline, you know, it should be, you know, should, looking like a like the entire army, and they're just whittling them away. All right, all right, you guys now, go. And, and that's essentially what's happening here, right, right. And so Fingolfin and uh, Fingen are there, and now I could see that you were doing a lot of work with Fingen and Fing- between Fingen and Fingolfin here as they are defend, you know, the two of them, and not alone, but the two of them are in the last group of, you know, the rear guard they're defending. Uh, So tell me a little bit about what you were working to accomplish there with Fingen and Fingolfin. Right. So we are, what I'm trying to craft is the, is a satisfying conclusion to the plot line between Fingen and Fingolfin that we've been building since episode two. 
right, right? since Fingolfin's first com- uh, conversations with Beor, with Beor, where he yeah. starts realizing I have to set up Fingin as my heir, right? Yeah. Um, when he starts thinking about his legacy, and that's essentially the the conflict between Fingolfin as the important high king, right, and Fingolfin, the father who has prepared his son to to rise and take his place. Right. right. Inspired both by the example of the humans, as you said, and also, as we've discussed, some yeah. kind of premonition, essentially, of his own right. imminent death. Right. right? Yeah. Um, that he has to stop thinking like an elf who's going to functionally be around for as long as his son at you know there's not a generational thing there necessarily in the normal flow of stuff Uh, but he's realizing yeah no that's not the way it's going to be for me and of course we talked about how that was one of the things that was leading to his uh initiative for the offensive right that he Mm -hmm. wanted to accomplish something um Mm -hmm. and believed that uh and again that was back also to the the connection with men that right that with uh you know the vision that he had that um you know with the help of the adine they would you know be able to accomplish something um Mm -hmm. okay so we so we so fingolfin is so fingen is basically just uh, they're at the rear guard action again at the Mm -hmm. the you know gates of baradithal um, Fingon is just trying to protect Fingolfin, right? Like, yeah. You are the High King. You are, you know, you need to retreat because uh, yeah. you're the most important one. Um, and Fingolfin, not exactly, not really thinking that way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what I wanted to do was kind of do two things um, in one moment, and that's a callback to. Um, the moment when uh, Turgon, when when Ellen Ways has died, and Turgon right. keeps swimming down into the ice cold water, looking, trying to find her, and Fingolfin eventually pulls it pulls him out of the water personally, and it's the the idea of Fingolfin as father, right? Right. And to kind of call back to that, while also calling forward to the idea of Fingolfin standing between. Um, Fingen, of course, but also his people, and and um, and Morgoth, and that's essentially what winds up happening, where Fingen gets beaten down, and Dad is there. Right, 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 right. His father's shield protects him. By the way, lovely uh, foreshadowing there. Right. Um, yeah. As uh, Fingon is almost beaten to a pulp <laughs> by, like, by trolls and Balrogs uh, on mm-hmm. the ground, but isn't. Fortunately, yeah. it's a good. Isn't it a good thing that Fingon doesn't die that way? So there we go. I, I just realized I forgot to pay something off. Oh yeah. I, I wrote something into. I don't know. Maybe maybe I didn't write it into that that scene where Fingolfin's shield is broken. Yeah, I yeah. intend to have Fingon give him his shield. Ah. Before Fingolfin leaves, or or you know, because Fingolfin did have a shield. You're right; it did have a shield in right. his battle with Morgoth. Yeah, right, right, right. I I had forgotten about that, but I can I can always fix that. We can fix okay. the post. Right. Fine. So we're, so Fingen is meant to give him his shield. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um. This doesn't mean Fingen is going to be shieldless later on, right? Like presumably no, he, he's able he to do yeah. shield. 
in get a new shield, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's right, right. Okay, but uh, okay, right. Um, so, but then of course, what really saves the day is neither Fingolfin nor Fingon. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden, the House of Hador reappears. And they yes. charge in uh, from the flank, e- attacking even the Balrogs, right? So we have yes. this uh, uh, assault of insane bravery by Galdor and Gundor, yes. uh, who yes. come in and, and actually, like, wound Gothmog um, mo- modestly. Uh, was it Gothmog or was it one of the it other Balrogs? Or, or Balrog number three. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I, I, wanted, I wanted to keep, like, Balrog, Gothmog loses enough cool points here and there i figured right let's, let's, let's not chip too far away at that and it's true like although we do uh you know we're we've been keeping pretty well to our balrog appearance means the death of a named character rule um yet like there's named characters and then there's named characters right i mean gothmog is a really big among the Balrogs is a very big deal. Um, yeah. So it's true that we don't necessarily want, we, we want to kind of save Gothmog. Um, yeah. Who, have we yeah. had him kill anybody yet? Gothmog? Gothmog yeah. is in the fight with Agnar and Angrod. In yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we have, we have, yeah. right. Yeah. So we've mm-hmm. had him killing them already. Um, yeah. And we're going to, of course, you know, this is a bonus uh, killing. This is a bonus killing. Right. Yeah, the idea here was that yeah, Gundor he's named, but right. he's not exactly a big deal kind of character. Yeah. So no, you can't I mean, let him accomplish very much against the Balrogs other than attack them and die. Right, which was great. I mean, that was still a, a wonderful thing to have done, right? And enables them to retreat. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. does succeed in saving uh, you know, the lives at least of, you know, many of the uh, Elvish infantry, if not a Fingolfin and Fingon themselves. So, I mean, it, it, it worked well. Um, and yes, Gundor is, a, he's a B-list named character in the sense that we haven't had much development of his character or anything, but still, we know him to be, um, you know, one of the sons of Hador, and we know that, um, uh, and it's still, like, a significant deal that, um, yeah. you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, you know the one of the princes of the um the men of hador is being slain here um yeah uh it's a, a significant sacrifice not just a desperate attack but a significant sacrifice uh, right. by them so and it worked you know to we had i mean he also he provided therefore gundor provided a significant corpse for later on in the in the episode yes. you know so that yeah. was good that was good i thought yeah. that worked but but they anyway they managed to get in. Um, when they get in, Gothmog leaves. He's not. He he he, he has no re- remit for Barrett Ithel. They're they're not going to attack. Right. So they don't attack. They don't. I mean, they're fresh out of assault. Right. Like right. <laughs> right. Like to get this far, they've probably lost untold thousands. Right. Of orcs. Of, of orcs. Yeah. Right. And so attacking an extremely well placed castle is right. probably not on the list um right. there's no timber lying around for them to build siege equipment with they would have to get all the way up this causeway getting rained down on and whatnot so um and he has a victory party to attend back in Angband. so 
Right, exactly. So Gothmog and the Balrogs leave, and they leave basically just some orcs there to basically yeah. hold them, uh, keep them pinned there, prevent right. them from just being able to come out again easily and leave. Right. Um, right. Okay. All right. So then we have Finrod. So Finrod decides he's going ahead anyway, right? He's going ahead to yes. defend of Sarek because he's got to do something. Um, yeah. And that, of course, is an interesting kind of subplot here, too. Like, why does Finrod go against, you know, Aradreth's advice and do what seems like an unwise thing. Um, and one of the answers to that is because it's his only hope of doing anything, of accomplishing yeah. anything. I mean, his own, yeah. his choice is between uh, doing a, a uh, you know, a low, um, uh, a low percentage, not very wise maneuver or simply sit there and do nothing while the yeah. rest of the, you know, while the rest of the, the, uh, the lines are destroyed. So, yeah. yeah his, his alternative is to reinforce Minas Tirith, which is not under attack. Right. right. So. Right. <laughs> right. So he goes to the Fens of Sarek and uh, is, in fact, um, uh, pinned down by the orcs under Saurog and mm. Golog. Was it Golog? Gorbal. Gorbal. Gorgal. Gorgal. I know there's another G. Okay. Gorgal. Right. Yes. Um, Gorgal the Butcher from Gorgal the Butcher. Uh, the Lays. Yeah. Right. He's from the Lays, right? I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. I know Bulldog gets mentioned in the Lays. Um, but anyway, they're just, there are not all that many named orcs from the Elder Days. So it, uh, it's uh, uh, good to be able to have a couple to use. Um, okay. Um, so let's you did this one too, right? Yeah. Like, kind of yeah, illustrate this just has two, yeah, two maps. This is just to show what's going on there because I can understand why it might not necessarily be super clear from the script itself. So Fingolfin Fingolfin Finrod's uh army is essentially acting in a column. They're trying to make their way up along the edge of the uh the hills there. And so they're driving through, right, um, while at the same time fending off attacks from the from the left side of the column. So if, essentially you have this shifting line of battle trying right. to – while also you're fighting into a flank, which is just – that's insanity. And so it starts off with basically him saying to Ardreth, yeah, I don't – Maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> this, right. This uh, this really doesn't look like panning out here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, trying to march and fight alongside a heavily defended uh, position is not a great idea at all. No. No, it's a terrible idea. And Fingen is if Finrod is essentially already considering retreat by the time we open up. Um, right. But Sauron's got his number, and he sends right. orcs. Yeah, he sends orcs directly into whatever weak points he can find. He's like, there, 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 there. Get them, cut them off, bring back any alive you can, because that's really his kind of right. Uh, it, you know, he would love to capture the, his entire army on Moss. That would be fantastic. Yes, yes, and that's yes. what this maneuver sets him up to do. Right, right. Um, he's not just trying to grind them down uh, and to hey. Come, hey, Dave, welcome. 
Um, uh, you're uh, 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 joining uh, the army of Finrod in midst of getting cut to pieces. So, excellent. I, w- I was hoping I could ride in like uh, Bara here. <laughs> just about yeah <laughs> just about uh nearly timed uh exactly perfectly there um now in the midst of this this is where uh this is where guilin gets captured right yes yeah and by the way i really liked the fact that basically sauron is in charge of that right that like one yeah. of the one of the successful elements that's going to pay off later um mm-hmm. uh is uh, a, a thing that happens under Sauron's watch all right and yeah. so that uh, setting us up of course to sort of suggest that um um well we'll see we'll see about how we want to i'm not going to look ahead to the near night or not yet mm-hmm. um cuz we have too much that's going to happen between now and then um but um okay so things are going now very, very badly. Now, uh, where is so is is, is fin, Finrod is in the front here? So he's Finrod's on the, in the van, yeah, yeah. Of, of what would be the van if they were actually marching in a column. <laughs> right. If they were making progress, he it would be the right. front. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead, he's just the right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so this is then when Bari here and the House of Beor come down. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, are they coming down? Where are they coming down? Are they coming down from They're the right? Coming down out of, out of, yeah, out of the hills from the right of, of this image. Um, I okay. do want to give props to uh, to Catherine, uh, whose idea essentially the the song duel between Finrod and Sauron. Oh my was. goodness! So yeah, let's not skip over that. Yeah. Um, that was kind of genius, actually. I I I, I, I so. There were several things that I loved about that. I mean, of course, first of all, if you can have two song duels between Finrod and Sauron, you do it, right? right. Instead of that's right. clearly at least twice as good as having yeah. only one song duel between Sauron. But I mean, yeah. obviously, creating the opportunity for the the, the kind of the payoff later on, yeah. um, uh, uh, really, really fun thing. But the other thing that I really liked about it, um, you had already talked about how. Sauron is obviously he's like awkwardly and uncomfortably in charge of an army of orcs whom he despises here. Right. Mm -hmm. So showing that Sauron is not simply going to act like Gothmog on the battlefield. Right. His his he's not going to just be like, no, I shall keep smashing them with lots and lots of orcs. He's got a different plan and a more uh, a more Sauron like plan and a more effective plan. Right. I'm going to you know, he's going to put himself uh, at a high place looking over the battlefield and he is going to like smother them magically and spiritually um, to, yeah. ena- to enable and empower the orcs to overtake them or rather to overcome their resistance uh, yeah. to the orcs. Um, yeah. And that was Catherine's point was, and, and my intention was to, was to do the, the double envelopment and the, and my intention was to have Sauron essentially trying to capture their armies. Right. Whole. Right. Um, and Catherine pointed out, like, yeah, but he would do more Sauron kind of things, as you say. Exactly. Exactly. And so the, 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 and also this not only calls forward to their eventual final confrontation, but also yeah. calls back to the Marathadrathad. Right. The, right. the, the, 
proto-song duel between Luthien and Sauron, which Finrod is present for, and Finrod is the one who has been listening this whole time and discovers the the instrument that Sauron left behind, the hurdy-gurdy, right? right? The hurdy-gurdy, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, the evil hurdy-gurdy. Yes. I, yes. Uh, um, yes. So this is kind memory. of like stretching out its fingers in both directions, and in, on both ends, you find Luthien. Right on both ends, you, yeah, you get Luthien first and last, and uh, and uh, Finrod and Sauron against each other in some sense or other all the way through. And of course, yeah. it also it doesn't just set up their duel, um, but again, that dynamic of capturing, right? Yeah. You know, in the end, Finrod is going to be in Sauron's stronghold, formerly known as Finrod's stronghold, um, and the 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 song duel there is going to be designed to capture Finrod, which he is going to know he was so close to doing right here, right? That he yeah. he was he was you know this is what he he wants to do. Um, so showing how the third song duel right is going to be uh, him Sauron, I mean, apparently achieving. Right, what he failed to do, um, and yet we will see his frustration. Okay, all right, I'm cheating and going on. I'm talking about season six stuff, uh, but um, but anyway, the point is it sets it up really, really well, and I like that very, very much. Yeah. Um, uh, so I thought that that was really cool. Um, tell me, uh, tell me about because uh, obviously one thing that has to be done with great care here is not um not stealing the thunder of the song battle between Finrod yeah. and Sauron especially in terms of imagery cuz we yeah we we got close to it right mm-hmm. um yeah let me yeah. um I, I don't i don't i don't do you remember where it is i, I wanted to look at the series it's of images scene... is it's in act scene 2 or two. it's it is in act 2 it is in it's act, in act two. 2 scene Six. Scene six. Okay. Not sure where to find it, especially since you're flashing all over the place in different I places. Know, I know, I know, I know. It's ridiculous. There we go. There's Finrod. Okay, there's Finrod, right. Yeah. So he's just leaving, so we've got... Um... Yeah, page 17 is where it starts. Yep, Thank you. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, so we've got um, uh, Finrod singing in response. Okay, all right, here we go, here we go. Um, so we do get some imagery, right? We get, we've got the, mostly it's hope and despair, right? The hope and despair yes. is the primary thing he is trying to, um, uh, to, we've got this like fog like despair, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, is the, the kind of the visual imagery that you're associating with that. And then you've got, uh, the star filled sky, right? So you've got stars mm-hmm. above the, above the fog, Right. Yes. Um, evoking, of course, Sam Star in yes. Mordor. Right. Which is yes. awesome. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't like that? And then you've got the trees of Valinor, too. So he is opposing despair with hope and with, again, that fundamental insight that Sam is going to have uh, both in the Tower of Kirithongol and afterwards. Right. Um, um, about the light versus the darkness, the stars above the shadow. Um, and... Um, uh, and that, so, so is the idea here that Finrod 
basically wins this round? No, it's because they, we don't get to a conclusion. As a matter of fact, um, in the description, like Finrod is really suffering right. under the imp- uh, oppression here. We don't see that from Sauron, but we're not seeing Sauron in this, at this point in the duel. We're only right. seeing Finrod. Okay. And so the, 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 the scene is we so we've seen Sauron. I just I want, want to make sure we're getting I'm getting this here. So we've seen Sauron like do the Paul of Despair thing. Right. Yeah. And then the focus is not so much a one on one confrontation thing. It is Finrod standing in the midst of the fog of despair and him attempting to fight that off. And he's right. having some success, but the success is limited. Is that what we're seeing? Yes. Yes. And essentially what we do is. Gandalf and the Witch King at the gates of Minas Tirith, right? right. Where it's broken by the, by the, the horn. Now, this is the first time this horn has been heard, and this is why I specifically was it was after a very very specific instrument, uh, the the Celtic carnyx, uh, uh, I think is how you pronounce the word, and it's it's so it's so scary. It is <laughs> one of the most terrifying. Uh, brass type instruments that I'm aware of, and of course, an actual horn won't make that sound. Uh, but this, it's this is this is the movies, right? Right, you know, right, yeah, exactly. Um, and so we've never actually heard the horn of Brethel sounded, and so when we hear it, like this terrifying horn shatters Fingolfin's song, and so you might be tempted to think, "Oh no, what no, what's happened now?" But right. instead. A, you know a couple of a couple thousand angry humans come screaming out of the uh, out of the hills right and I, I really love the idea that their that their savagery scares the orcs <laughs> right now here's another call forward that i was thinking we could kind of make here i well, obviously we don't be too mechanical about it but mm. um Bar here doesn't have so many guys that they can actually overwhelm the orcs of Sauron. No. Right? Yeah. So part of what's happening here is kind of Mr. Like they think that this is a larger force coming in to, right. you know, and so the orcs panic, right? Thinking they're about to be overwhelmed. Um, even though the attacking force, though savage and impressive, um, yeah. is in the minds of the orcs bigger than it actually is. It really is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, is reminding me ahead of Turin, right? Yeah. Uh, and that moment when Turin, by himself, <laughs> right, uh, uh, basically pretends to be a relief column and scares off, uh, 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 you know, an attacking army. You know, when he when he yeah. rescues Dorlas and yeah. uh, and the others there in Brethil. Um, Literature so, and, yeah. in fact, history are replete with this sort of thing, <laughs> right? All right. the time. Right. Um, so basically what I mean is, are we going to see any evidence that Bari here is actually attempting to create this kind of illusion? Like that they're trying to create the illusion that there are more of them than there are? He, he certainly attacks with a lot of sound and a lot of uh, show. Right. So yeah. it, this, this is meant to be a sudden assault that sounds very loud and is very obvious. So yes, right. he's trying to be as big and scary as his army can be in this attack. And I bet so if the horn of Brethil is the thing that is like the really terrifying mm-hmm. horn, right? Um, I've got to think that the dude blowing the horn of Brethil needs to stay off screen, 
right? Not to be like on the front lines, so that the um, horn can continue to be blowing as if yeah. summoning the next wave and the next wave, right, of the attacker, something like that, right? Yeah, um, it's it's Belligant, and um, I don't think he actually does come down out out of the hills. I think he's it, like he's back behind um, Barahir and and Baron and whatnot. Um, and also, you're hearing answering horn calls along the uh, along the uh, the the charge as well. So it's not just him. Everybody who's got a horn is blowing it in answer to his horn, right? right. So it's right. it again. Uh, Stephen uh, Cover brings up Gideon, which is right. really right. like it's like the Ur example, right? Like right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's great. Um, uh, so here's what I love about what you guys have done here with this scene. Um, there's a lot that could go wrong with this scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like there's a lot. So like Finrod could look really weak. Right. Mm. Um, and he doesn't like he's put himself into this really disadvantageous position and he's done yeah. that not just because he's a fool, right? Not mm. just because he's um, he's like blindly impetuous or something like that, but, but because he feels he clearly felt like he had no choice but to try something, and this was their yeah. only uh, hope. But but yet it doesn't change the fact that he's put his neck in it, right? Um, yeah. You know, he has stuck out his neck, and he is in trouble here. Um, so it is his fault, but it's his fault, like. It's like still what was he kind to do. Yeah, it's still kind of like it's still kind of heroic, but still wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, and now he's in a position where he's going to be he's he's at risk of being destroyed, without making him look weak, right? Yeah. So he's he's made a strong move and he's done the best that he can, but he's still going to be uh, uh, overtaken. We've. Yeah. Uh, preserved Sauron's character. Again, lots that could have gone wrong with the inclusion mm-hmm. of Sauron in this battle, one way or another. Um, we don't, we haven't compromised the character of Sauron that we've been developing, right? Both mm-hmm. with his like relation to orcs and his approach to strategy. And it's really fun to see that uh, the thing that almost leads to his victory and the defeat of Finrod was mm-hmm. Sauron's own stratagem you know sauron's own exertion of his yeah. own power doing as you say more saurony things uh than merely sicking the orcs on them right yeah um and so that so i think sauron comes out of this looking pretty good as well because in the end and and why does he lose why does he not get finrod uh in the end because, because the orcs failed him right yeah yeah, and, and so there Dumbog he is. Didn't do his job. Right. He told us. He told us that they that they wiped everybody off in Dorthonion off the map. Right. Dorthonion was clean. There wasn't supposed to be anybody in there. Exactly. So there, yeah. So like the other, like Dorthonion was incompletely, you know, uh, defeated. Just for starters, and then these useless orcs that he was already rolling his eyes at at the beginning of the battle, right? Just like chicken out and and fail him and there's Sauron in the middle going like I just can't get good help right you know yeah. what am I yeah. supposed to do I, here I was practically winning this battle by myself to begin with right <laughs> and now I'm left literally by myself with no other you know this is pointless um, yeah. let's uh, let's drop back and start doing intelligent things rather than continuing yeah. this 
uh, yeah. stupid offensive. Um, so again, so I, it, it works. It, it succeeds both in keeping Sauron in character and not undermining Sauron. Yeah. Um, and if anything, it kind of strengthens him, right? Like his yeah. methods are better. Like, you know, he, he certainly is going to leave thinking um, that is it. I am doing things my way from now <laughs> on, right? I Which no more. Which is going to work amazingly. So much better. So much better than this, right? Um, <laughs> as long as he doesn't run afoul of any elf maidens and talking dogs. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, that's all that's all right and you have to admit that's a relatively obscure Achilles heel to have so um, (laughs) eventually he's going to have to return to Agban a humble Sauron a small and sad Sauron right I mean, yeah. to be fair, anyone who runs into Luthi and she's kind of the Achilles heel in some way, yes yeah like Mandos, I don't care about any of you. I'll do my own thing, and <laughs> right. you know I will not be moved to tears, no matter how much you beg and plead. And she's like, "But I have a special case, right? Oh, Unless fine. you're Luthien, I'll petition Luthien. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, Luthien is just the special case. So, um. And sorry, that sorry, that was me making my I am resisting the temptation to leak ahead into season six face. So I'm not doing that. Okay, Um, because that's not what we're talking about here today. And it's so close. Like you can can't you smell season six from afar right now? Like, oh, my goodness. But anyway, we're not going there. Um, uh, We're not going there. Uh, even though I can smell it like the scent of flowers from undying meads wafting across the sea in the distance. So um, we are <laughs> going to keep talking. So Sauron comes out really well. And and then again, and yet we still also preserve the real heroism of Barahir, right? Yeah. And even the kind of this beautiful reversal, right? And I say reversal because we had the whole uh, like focal point of the end of the story of Barahir in episode 12, right, was about hope, right? Them holding on to hope. And Finrod was their hope. The, yeah. he, was the, like, the, he was like the center yeah. of the hope that they were holding on to. And then in the end, they end up rescuing him, right? They end up, yeah. uh, you know, they end up preserved. They, they become the agents of hope uh, yeah. and the agents of the deliverance instead of, ne- of, of receiving the deliverance. And that's just a beautiful reversal, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, there's just much that I, uh, that I love about that. So, um, I think that was really, really good. And by the way, can I just also say what a wonderful, I mean, notice how we have built on uh, what we, I say you, cause this wasn't my idea. Um, how you guys have built on the foundations of what we did, but even just down to like the earthworks that were there from the Dagor Aglareb, right. Yeah. Having worked out what, you know, happened at the Dagalor Aglareb and exactly how that worked. You know, one like unintended consequence of this is that like here we have this circumstance ready made and yeah. you know, in a way that the, 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 you know, visually the viewers should remember, right. Yeah. Um, you know, they will have seen this and those climactic battle moments, um, you know, back in season four, Three, four, four. Yeah, back in season four. Um, uh, I, I mean, that still was, was only one season ago, right? And so they like they will have remem- they will remember seeing these places. Um, and uh, so again, just uh, kind of having that full, you know, level of detail already worked out in advance makes this uh, makes this pretty awesome too. So, okay. Um, and then we get um, 
the Eastern Front. And the Eastern Front is kind of simpler, actually, um, uh, yeah. than both of these things. Um, we have... Let's start with Mythros. Yeah. Um, so Mythros succeeds. Now, may, I'll make sure I'm understanding properly. Um, the different wards of of Himring. So Himring is a star-shaped star with a keep in the middle, right? Right. The keep itself is, is star-shaped. Each point of the star has a wall attached to it that goes out to the outer curtain. And so right. the, so essentially the, um, the wards are like the area in between the outer curtain and those walls. And the keep wall. Right? And right. you have to make it through all... You have to go all the way the around board. the keep in order to get into it. Right. 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 Okay. Um, okay. Unless you can somehow either break down a wall or get like a 90 foot tall ladder up to the very top of it, which not practical. Yeah. 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 Especially when, uh, some significant portion of your attacking army are quadrupeds. Um, so, uh, uh, so yeah. Um, uh, had they taken this slower, had Sauron been in charge of the assault on Himring, it would not have been an assault. It would have been a prolonged siege. He would have just built he would have just flung hundreds of thousands of orcs at this thing to build a ramp up the side of the wall out of mm-hmm. out of dirt, like um like the Romans taking Masada, like Masada, right? yeah, exactly. And it, it, like, what would you do? Like, that's the, you know that's all she wrote. Eventually, right. you get in, right? Uh, but this is a quick and dirty assault. They're using siege weapons, but it's it's not optimal effective optimally right. effective and well, one and, of the things i was going to say the other thing to remember about on the siege weapon front right is that these walls right these walls were built by people for whom like compared with whom the people who built the walls of Minas Tirith and Orthanc and stuff are hobbyists Right, right. I mean, like the 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 impenetrable walls of Minas Tirith and of of Orthanc, which are commented, you know, built by the Numenorians, Right, those were built by the eventual descendants of people who learned everything they knew <laughs> from these people. Right. Yeah. I mean, so the, so you're not the yes, they have catapults throwing rocks, but right, lest people imagine the ridiculous scenes, and these were like. Although it might not seem like a huge deal, this was actually this would make my top ten least favorite moments in the Lord of the Rings films. Actually, when the uh, trebuchets of the attacking armies, um, you know, like they are lobbing these rocks against the walls, which like collapse like a Jenga yeah. tower, right? Yeah. Um, when the when the rocks hit them, and that yeah. like ticked me off so much when I was watching that. Uh, Like, first of all, like even a normal wall, like built by actual medieval people would not do that. Right. Like that's, uh, it's absolutely absurd. Um, And uh, uh, much less the walls of Minas Tirith for crying out loud. Right. Um, It's, it's very, very clear that movie makers have a tenuous grasp at best of what warfare period <laughs> right. is like, right. much less historical warfare. Like, right. 
you know, the worst thing that happens in like modern action movies, you have a bunch of people shooting guns at each other and who never run out of bullets and, and don't never hit take uh, cover and and people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, oh yeah, the the sailing ships, Stephen, the sailing ships in Pirates of the Caribbean. It's just ridiculous. You can't. You literally cannot just have two ships sailing alongside each other for several minutes firing cannonballs at each other. <laughs> yes. They move too fast. The sea is constantly moving. Right. Like you can't that can't Not be to done. mention the fact that your cannonballs don't blast holes this big around in the wooden hull of the other ship, causing it immediately <laughs> to sink. Like that is not how naval Yeah. Agreed, Stephen. <laughs> that naval combat is done just about as is as badly as any other kind of warfare in film. Mastering Commander is pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about that one. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I've I've heard I've good things. Mine it nor read it but i was under the impression that the books were written by someone who at least knows what naval warfare is yes that is true that is true so it's probably a good starting point yes (laughs) right you better with more naval experience you think than the pirates of the caribbean folks yeah yeah yeah, possibly so i mean the pirates of the caribbean films are pretty cool it is and actually Okay, the one thing I like about the Pirates of the Caribbean film is the way that you have, like, the one ship that can take out a port city, which is totally true. Like, actually, like, the the, the kind of guns that are, you know, the the number of cannon on, uh, you know, a a fully loaded ship was indeed a threat to uh, a coastal city uh, if it was not heavily defended by properly sighted batteries. So, um that scene uh you know when the 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 pirate ship takes out much of the city was kind of yep. cool but anyway uh back to our totally accurate uh yeah. battle flow here the feanorians know how to build fortresses they yeah yeah they are not this getting not through the fortress their first attempt like him no. is in the it, it, it's after they've already built Formanos. Yes. Formanos was after they'd already built Tyrion upon Tuna. And it's like, at some yeah. point, they're not beginners. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, this right. is, uh, um, these are the people who are best at this at like the height of their skill. I mean, the yeah. hemorrhing is, yeah. yeah. And, and the only other fortress... had dwarvish help. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also. But, I mean, the only other fortress that would even compare is Gondolin. Which is a city, and it's not the same thing. No, right, but right. This is yeah. This is the this is the best fortress the Noldor have. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I have to admit when, okay, so I, I had a suspicion at the end of episode 12 that Himmering was going to stand. Well, of course I knew that it did anyway, but even from within internally within yeah. episode 12, it, it was, yeah. it seemed that, uh, Mytheros was, was going to stand. Um, I, I have to admit what I was expecting didn't happen. Like, so what I was expecting was, um, when, when we were seeing these, like we kept cutting to these like aerial shots of like ward after ward being filled yeah. with, and the orders that he gave to his, uh, subordinates, right. About like, kind of like drawing them in and, you know, and there was like resistance that was being made and stuff all the way along. Yeah. Um, but, um, Mydros, seemed clearly to have a plan, right? Yeah. So I was expecting... What Here's what I was expecting. What I was expecting mm-hmm. was that when he got them all, like, inside the wards, 
something was going to happen to them. That like there was the moment there was going to come a moment when Mithros was like, and now I have them right where I want them, yeah. right? And like, boom, he was going to just like crush them all. When everybody else thought that they were losing, right? That Mithros yeah. was going to like bring the the hammer down and do something. Now I liked the like Magor, like the, you know, helping Magor thing. The dwarf tunnels are cool, um, because but uh, but I was I didn't get quite the payoff I was expecting from Mithros yeah. in that battle. Yeah, I I had in my mind there was an earlier version of the end of this where he had the dwarves collapse like a big part of the wall onto the uh, the orc army. But I, as I was thinking about it, I was just like, there's just no way that these walls are tall enough to get the kind of coverage you need. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it seems kind of irresponsible to build your castle with, with the a collapsible wall. <laughs> yes. Into yes. It. And yes. so, like, that was my first thought. I was like, Ugh. Mm. Um, the idea of him having some kind of uh, sudden inspiration, though, allowed us to have him kind of like show that kind of quick thinking. How do I? I take advantage of this situation um, rather than ha- because my concern was having it appear as is, as if Mythros was totally fine with everything that was happening and all the people dying preceding that. Right. 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 Yeah, um, it's true. We when, don't want to make him look I... too ruthless, but right. at the same time, Fanorian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's still a Fanorian, um, despite the fact thing, that he's one of the better ones. Yeah. yeah. One thing I was trying to do though was make it very clear that he was being he was not spending his soldiers' lives needlessly. Like he's like, look, when you start getting overrun, you pull back. That's why we have this thing. That's why this right. is built this way. Right. Don't sit there and die. Like, don't right. do that. That's right. a terrible idea, right? Um, and one of the things that I, because I, I hate the way depictions of castle warfare are done, because it, there seems to be this idea that if you sit behind your castle walls, you're a coward. Right. It's like, no, if you leave your castle walls, you're a maniac. Right, or an idiot. Yes, exactly. Right. Like, That's what they're for. The, yeah. It's one of the things that really bothered me about what they did with Rohan in Two Towers, where they made it like Gandalf was just so irritated with Theoden for not wanting to ride his tiny little army of riders out and face 10,000 Urukai in the field. Right. Like that just. It, oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Book with the other way around. The way that they played Theoden's decision to go to Helm's Deep as like the the the, the ridiculous, foolish, uh, terrible decision. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, that was another place where uh, that that's in my top 10, too, uh, for sure. Um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I was like, wait, why? <laughs> since when is retreating to Helm's Deep a bad idea? Uh, yeah. That's the whole point of it. Um, yeah, that's why you have a Helm's Deep. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, and then, because even then, they're like, oh, we are surrounded. It's like 10,000 to only a few hundred. And it's like, right. And so, wait, uh, show of hands. Bad? Right. Who, who, who thinks it was still a bad idea to retreat <laughs> to the fortress <laughs> with odds like that? Like, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And what world does it make sense to do anything else? Um, right, 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 exactly. So, and, and so, the charge out onto the causeway is played as like Aragorn's like, no, here's your chance to ride out and meet them. In the book, like Aragorn finally breaks down. It's like, okay, fine, we'll go out there. Like, <laughs> there's yeah, there's 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 that's the best thing at that point because it's. Right. I He's mean, and, struggling in Theoden's feigness the entire time. Right, right. Um, and at that point in the battle, Theoden's not wrong, right? Like, better to ride forth and to be caught like a badger in a trap, right? You know, right. yes, like, his cavalry can do more good on the open field, even against right. 10,000, than it can, um, you know, locked into a tower which is being burned down around him. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but that's not step one. So anyway, but, so, I have to admit, though, Oh, so we, go, had go. To, we had to give Mithras a reason to ride out into battle because otherwise yeah, right. he's just going to sit in his keep the entire time, and that's not fun to watch. Right. So well, it's not. They can do that, but yeah, it just Nick wanted to um, let the siege progress to a point where it was that okay, they're going to take the keep unless we do something. So right. now's the time to now's the yeah. time. So okay. I admit, Nick, that I was initially thinking in similar kinds of ways, like your uh, your wall collapsing kind of thing. Like, yeah. I was I was I was wanting there to be some trap. master stroke, some trap, right? Yeah. Something that like he had kind of built into Himring. Um, yeah. Because again, the other risk here is that again, as you said, like you can make the argument, right, that Himring is quite possibly the strongest fortress ever made by good guys yes. in the history of Middle-earth or ever yeah. to be made by good guys yeah. in the history of Middle-earth, right? So, um, although, again, although it's not that I disliked the resolution, right? Like Maglor mm-hmm. coming in and the whole, you know, the, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike what happened there. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I do dislike, see, this is where I was talking with uh, like the Finrod thing about, like the, you know, the Finrod Sauron battle thing, how mm. like all of the things to be either mm. to be accomplished or avoided got accomplished or avoided, right? Yeah. The one thing that I feel that we lose here is mm. the strength of Himring, basically. Right. Because like the fact is, it's like the fortress of Himring had to get its biscuits pulled out of the fire because it almost failed, yeah. right? Like yeah. Bulldog. Uh, without Glaurung, without Balrogs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bulldog and his orcs, along with some wargs, right? And trolls, yeah. like I know. But anyway, they almost took it, right? They almost took yeah. the greatest fortress of all time. Um, yeah. And that yeah. seems like too much. So I, but, but my problem is, I don't know. I don't know what to do to either. Yeah. How to fix I, it, you know? I, beat my head on the because there's a few there's a bunch of moving parts right maglor's got to get there and his arrival has to mean something like like what otherwise what's the point like why am i bothering to show this other than the fact that it says it happens in the book right right Right. um 
he has to it has to get back like because he can't just continuously fend like we can't just get five scenes of them of them continuously surviving a siege it's got to go somewhere right right um okay and and also it's like there has to be a turn like there has to be some level of threat where we believe on some level that this could go wrong because it's it like there are places where it's gone right and places where it's gone wrong so we're kind of trying the best we can to hide the ball at least a little bit even though right. because ball dogs there we know that he's going to lose he's going to lose because he, he never wins yeah, yeah exactly yeah 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 right. um uh his main job is to be very very threatening and always lose um yes which of course is not an unusual position for a tv villain to be in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by any stretch uh but anyway okay so all right I agree about all those things. Yeah. But what I wanted the turn to be was I wanted, I'm like, especially since like, even at the beginning of this episode, not just last episode, but the beginning of this episode, right? Mythro's standing there and watching, right? Watching as like word after word is taken. Mm. I wanted the turning point to be Mythro saying now, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the thing happening. So, what I was what I was thinking, and I don't have any brilliant solutions to the problem or anything, mm. um, but the thing that suggests itself most to me is the way that him you've designed him ring, which I really yeah. like the seven pointed star thing and the different wards, right? Yeah. Um, the 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 obvious. Um, that what what'd you say? Eight pointed star. Eight, eight. sorry, eight eight pointed star. I said what I say, seven pointed star. Right, that's it be all Numenorian in that case. Sorry, the eight-pointed star uh, that is that is Himring. Um, the the way the the thing that I was imagining and sort of expecting um, is that because of the cleverness of the design of it, right? He's made a concentric fortress without it being concentric, right? right. Because they have to take each of the eight separate wards individually. But it not only presents like eight separate obstacles, like eight separate gateways that they've got to beat their way through. Mm -hmm. But it also puts the invaders in a really awkward position, right? Not only are they in an awkward position because they're subject to, you know, arrow fire from both the outer wall and from the keep, right? Yeah. From, and, you know, and the curtain wall, I mean, uh, the dividing walls and they, they, they're, um, now, granted, it's a great number of fish in a pretty large barrel, but there's still yeah. fish in a barrel in yeah. each individual ward, right? Um, but when they have succeeded in getting all the way to the eighth ward where they can now begin to contemplate getting into the keep itself, which I am imagining has a much stronger gate than the gates to each individual ward, right? Um, when they get to that point their army is broken up into eight chunks all the way around. Yeah. Um, and so what I was imagining was like, what if, cause wouldn't it be cool if like the design of him ring, it's like, I, I want him ring to win, right? Not just my throws. I want him ring yeah. to win. Right. So what if part of the design of it, right? So there are gates, 
right? And yeah. they have to beat their way through the gates, right? So they beat the gates open and now they can just walk right in, right? But what if in addition to the gates, there are the portcullises too, right? Yeah. He's got these massive portcullises and he drops them all, bam. And now I've divided your army up into eight chunks um, yeah. uh, and can, and who are now trapped, right? And separated some of them from their siege. Uh, mm. and, and now we can like kind of take you out. Um, now, of course, the problem with trapping the assaulting enemy inside, that you want them to be able to run away. Like uh, theoretically, you want them yes, to be able to run away. Yeah. Um, so there's a disadvantage uh, to, to doing something like that. It would have, no, no, and then I'm thinking, okay, but like what else, right? What else could he, would he have, because I'm thinking, again, he's designed this fortress, right? So right. he's envisioning if the enemy gets inside the walls, they're going to be inside these wards. What right. are we going to do with them when they are inside these? Yes, we can shoot arrows at them, right? Yeah. Which is good. Right. I mean, mm. that's a that's a that, that's a nice start. But could there be something else? I don't know what I'm imagining, well, like, uh, uh, f- you know, f- like flooding the ward with something, not necessarily mm. with water that we could do a little proto uh, Isengard ish thing there. Um, you know, we could do, uh, you know, with like water, fire, something to be like. And now, like, like, again, the trap is being sprung. Especially right? actually. That's an interesting idea because now, of course, this is this is just in my head. I've never actually done anything with this, but I kind of imagine this being set up almost kind of like a like a snail shell, right? right? Um, because they're the Himring itself is on this bluff, this headland, right, mm-hmm. O- mm-hmm. overlooking the plane, and the gate that goes up to Himring up to the keep is in this gap between Himring and another hill. Okay. Okay. So it kind of goes up in a spiral to the final ward. Okay. So if you were, and that could have been something that, that could have been the thing that the dwarves were working on is getting an, an aquifer to the point where it would, where it would get up there and he could release it and, not and to mention would, the fact, especially if you, if you had portcullises l- lowered, now they're just it, like the water is going through, and these guys are just getting, getting trapped, pr- up yeah, yeah, trapped up against yeah. it. And the other thing, if we've got une- uneven terrain, you can do boulders too. Because remember, like this is Himring. Right? This is the walls yeah. of Himring. The walls of Himring, like boulders are going to roll down and bounce off it, right? I mean, come on, these are the walls of. They would do that at Minas Tirith. They do that mm-hmm. twice as much at Himring. So. I get, if you so imagining one of the wards being a r- relatively steep or at least having one side of it that's relatively steep yeah. if again you have uh you know again with perhaps with the with the help of the dwarves you've got a whole bunch of boulders that are being held you know but you know by some kind of trapdoor mechanism and then after you close the portcullis you release the boulders and it rolls down they're not a threat to the walls they'll bounce off the yeah. walls the boulders don't have to be bigger than six feet across or something yeah right um and then they're all rolling down so they're all crushing the the army that's there right you know it's so it's like ripping through them and then they just like fetch up against the wall and no problem now again you don't usually want to pile up boulders against your own wall but this is the wall that's already been taken right it's, it's the outer wall that that, that yeah. they're fetching up against um and after crushing all the all the the, the dudes that are there um so we don't have to like annihilate the entire orc army this way Mm. Um, 
like you know we don't need to like leave bulldog standing alone outside the gates being like well that didn't go well and then maglor showing up you know with nothing to do we can still have um we can still have mag i i, I we can still have maglor's arrival be like the final turning point that breaks everything right mm-hmm. um of course but you we, want the fortress to fight fight back you want the fortress I, yeah. to have part yes. of the and i want here, not just the sortie yeah. And I want yeah. Mithros to have had a plan which works, right? And we can yeah. see that, like, and I'm okay if, even if we see that, like, even if Magwar hadn't shown up, he had it under control. Like, that's fine. Like, I, th- I think that that's fine. I think that it's if if Mithros didn't have a plan, if if Himring is not strong enough to stand, and Mithros did not have a plan then I think that that weakens both of them too much. I, I'd like, yeah. that seems to, because again, Himring, it's, it's, Himring stands, right? Himring alone stands. Right. Um, and I think that if we're going to have, like, seriously, Himring is on the brink of falling, we would need to bring Glaurung there or Gothmog or something, right? We'd need some yeah. kind of exceptional circumstance. Yeah. I mean, to be... Oop. We lost right. you. The hill of Himring is going to survive the drought. Okay. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. But I was it... just going to... The, the hill of Himring survived the drowning of Valerian. Mm. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> right. Himring stands. Yeah. Himring yeah. stands. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's I mean, of, really cool. Of this entire battle, this was the part that gave me the most trouble. And I was the I was not super satisfied with the end result either. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Having something like that would work. Um, keeping Maglor's arrival non-trivial, like that could just be the you know that moment's distraction was all that Mithras needed to be able to to make this all happen. And again, because the dwarves have been working on this thing for this whole time, you know, having a trap built into right. Himring seems like a good a good setup. So if we did, okay. So here's how we could preserve the the orc army's ability to flee and yeah. fight Magor. Um, there could be a drain. To, there's a drain. Yeah, he, he he doesn't have to do all the portcullises at once. He can do yeah. one ward at a time, right? Um, so we can After have the he's moment. Where, them out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so the um uh the. I mean, it is kind of cool to think of, like, the flood of water, which, like, goes from ward to ward, like, all the way through. Um, yeah. But what I was kind of, what I was picturing just now is if the, um, so they're they're in the final ward, right? And so the underlings are all like, oh, no, they're going to break into the keep. And Mythos is like, not today, right? And and then he, like, you know, hits the button or, like, you know, does whatever, like, needs to be done to, like, initiate, like, the, you know, the plan. Um, the thing for which he's been setting them up, you know, this whole time. Um, and so the portcullis closes to the last ward, right? Trapping yeah. the, the, like, the, the, the form of, with all their siege engines and stuff. And then he does whatever, like, maybe it's the, uh, maybe it's the water, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the water comes in, and so like all of the the orcs in that first ward are completely gone. Now he's not going to close all the portcullises at once because he does mm-hmm. want to like he he's you know uh, he knows that if he traps them all, you know a trapped animal is not safe to approach, right? So like they 
something and they don't have enough arrows and enough people uh to be able to just systematically like shoot to death every arrow yeah. every orc in every ward right they do want to let them flee especially since they could then conceivably destroy them in the field so um uh so he causes the first portcullis wipes out the maybe with a flood right and mm-hmm. then the flood would leak through the portcullis and in discommode and certainly disconcert uh the armies in the next couple wards right as they are going right. to get swept away and then maybe in the second ward right then he puts the portcullis down in the second ward and then we get the boulders there right and we don't even see what happens in the other wards we can just be like at, at this point now they're running right yeah. uh, you know and they're looking back over their shoulders at the gates that they just came through and being like holy crap we're dead meat right and so th- yeah. they all start running out at this point and bulldog is trying to bulldog doesn't I, I don't know if he can see it i don't know if he can't or whatever um but most of the army is able to escape right you know mm. so like 3 quarters of the army that's made it in flees and makes it out right and so they're outside there and now bulldog i don't know you know bulldog would be like okay um then i guess a siege Right. At which point Maglor comes and yeah. the already spooked army of orcs breaks. And then, you know, Mithros can do the tunnel thing and they can come up yeah. and they can. And so then we have the final route uh, of the orc army there. Um, I mean, it doesn't put Bulldog in a very strong position, but he's the attacker whose dignity we care least about. So yeah. uh, that seems to be OK. OK. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Stephen was pointing out that elves do have a history of defensive floods uh, in Tolkien's works. Uh, yeah, uh, if we if we, if we can do a call ahead both to uh, uh, both to Isengard and to Bruin, and I suppose um, with the uh, 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 with the I mean, yeah, we wouldn't actually need somebody to comment on how vigorous the waters were, but uh, you know. Well, yeah, your plan was water and boulders, so I was I was figuring you were thinking through it. You know, it kind of comes up, right? Well, and also like we don't want to do fire because like Morgoth just did that one, right? I mean, though it's kind of fun, it would be kind of fun to uh, you know kind of turn that back against them in that way. But um, anyway, but would that kind of save the Magwar thing at the end? I mean, it wouldn't be pointless. Like, they will have retreated, yeah. right? But yeah. they're, but they've not been driven out. I mean, they've, yeah. they've fled out. Like, they don't want to go back in there anymore, you know? Yeah. But Bulldog hasn't lost. He still has a really big army, right? And yeah. they still did drive them back in there. And so they can be like, well, we're at least we're safe out here. So let's besiege this place and, and uh, you know, and then at least we can keep this under control. And, and, you know, maybe even we could have Bulldog say something like, and like, you know, where's the drag? Where's that dragon anyway? Right. Yeah. Like, let's, get, let's, let's, let's apply the dragon to this situation when we can. Um, but let's hold on here until the dragon comes and then Glaurung can settle this. Uh, and then Magor shows up and the army gets scattered. Mm. So that so that it still is a siege broken. Um, yeah. The assault has already been beaten back, um, and Bolag has not taken him ring, but the siege gets broken um, by Magor. So Magor won't be like saving their lives, but it still will be at the turning point and the, yeah. the final, you know, the conclusive end of the engagement. Yeah. And, and so that's where I know Nick wanted to preserve the seizing the opportunity that presents itself versus yeah. the planned this for 30 years. Yes. And, yeah. So you get both sides of it. Right? You get both. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You've got the, 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 the plan for 30 years plus then, um, yeah, his spontaneous, his spontaneous yeah. sortie. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was still would have been in the position, even with them withdrawing outside the front gates, 
he would still be in a position where it would be foolish for him to just go out and fight them yeah. in the plane. Um, so um, Mithros, having successfully held Himring, would still be in a position of um, uh, would still be in a position of 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 both strength, but also of stalemate, basically, where he yeah. needs he he will need help to prevent him, you know, the to 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 lift the siege. Mm. So, um, okay. Well, that would make me happy. I mean, I know that, like, that, that this kind of, though, but I just have to say, like, there's nothing, there's very little that I like more in a, in a, a, a battle than, like, a successful defense of a mm. fortress. Like, I love a good successful defense of a fortress, especially mm. when a fortress is successfully defended, um, you know, by, like, planning and cunning and not just by, yeah. you know, like, in the incompetence of the attackers or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, you know, this would... And you have to admit that something like this would be sufficiently dramatic to be, yeah. you know, interesting and not just yeah. the boring side of siege warfare. Yeah. Um, Um, and we could have Stephen suggest an Elven-style big red button for Mithras to push. Not literally a button, but, you know, again, yeah. like it's some kind of... Uh, yeah. Um, the apparatus is in place so that they yeah. can drop those portcullises from within the keep. Clearly. That's it. That's it. Clearly. Exactly. Exactly. Um, is this the, uh, the U-catastrophe button? It's the Eucatastrophe button. Exactly. Mythros totally has a Eucatastrophe button uh, mm. that he has saved. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's, in fact, Mythros has. The purpose has... Of, of, of help unlooked for it, doesn't it? <laughs> Mythros yeah. has a series of seven Eucatastrophe buttons, you know, that he can hit one after the other. Um, yeah. Or 14, never 16. He's got so many Eucatastrophe buttons, right? Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. You don't want to. I kind of think of Mithros is as almost like the Batman of this, <laughs> of this era, right? Right. Like he just like you give him enough time to plan and he can just he can handle anything that you could throw at him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Did we decided to give him a prosthetic arm, didn't we? Something yes. kind of yeah. not not like a full not prosthetic a, arm, but yeah. 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 Not like a mechanical prosthetic arm, but we decided that he would usually not have anything over his stump because he yeah, would want right. to have evidence of the ordeal right. he'd been through. But, but when it came to things like a battle, he would have a shield that he could strap on. To his arm yeah, right. He'd be able to attach it. Yeah. So that it would, yeah. So it wouldn't like slide off his arm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, like, he has modified armor and things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But, uh, okay. not, yeah, he does not have a prosthetic. We, we prosthetic should... can't, yeah. We should probably talk about a dragon. Yeah. Not, let's not do that, that I, I don't love this conversation, no. but you know. the dragon. Yeah, okay. So the dragon. Um yeah, lest we rival uh our our last fortnight's uh newly established record for longest episode ever. Um Yes, the dragon. So um I love by the way, I I thought Nick, because yeah, we talked about this last time mm. about Glauron speaking and stuff. I thought you really came through with Glaurung's first dialogue. I thought that mm. his speech was awesome. Um, Good. Uh, I really, I really love the way that went. Uh, do you know where that is? Or can it, I find it's that? It's not too far. It's not too far away. Oh, by the way, this speech from Mithros, um, to give you the like once uh, again, a yeah. little bit of stealing happened there. Uh, this is from uh, 
de Gaulle's speech, uh, Charles de Gaulle's speech um, after the uh, uh, the surrender of France to uh, to the Nazis. Right. So they, so. they Himmering stands alone. That 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 part of the right. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, the okay, whole so fury and might that that bit there. That's yeah. yes. Okay, um, right. So here's Amrath shows up and finds Karanthir running mm. out with jewels. Okay, so here Glarung's first word is is thief, right? Repeating it back, so yeah. we get the echo back. Yeah. Um, and I love that. You know the the way in which it um, doesn't just establish the parallel, but the reversal of uh, Glaurung and Karanthir, right? But showing how you know uh, how alike uh, you know Karanthir is mm. uh, to Glaurung and stuff. That's really really cool. Um, but then, yes, his first full speech here, right? Um, yes, thief, highwayman, robber of travelers. Long have you stolen from your neighbors, and now in defeat you would steal from your conqueror. And then he commands him to come, right? So cool. Um, I, I thought you were echoing Glaurung's style. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, there were there were clear, like, syntactic echoes of... Uh, like his final speech to to Turin, uh, you know, his mm-hmm. di- dying speech to Turin, um, his speeches to Turin um, in uh, you know inside Nargothrond and stuff. So that it it's it sounded like Glaurung. I mean, it, it definitely had the stylistic feel, and not only that, but like the sort of approach, right? Mm-hmm. That like I'm going to characterize what you do in a way which is like malicious and uh uh and 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 warped but also not wrong at all mm. <laughs> right like the, you know yeah. and that's that that element i thought of it worked uh worked really well um the uh the power of his will in issuing that command where Karanthir mm-hmm. is actually shaken and and at risk of coming under the dragon spell uh there yeah. at the end um I thought was a, a good foretaste again. So, and this, I mean, just yeah. all the stuff that we talked about before about how we want to make sure we don't want to give too much away, but we do want to make sure that we're prepared for what we see yeah. later with Glaurung. Yeah. Um, I thought and, that it, and also it did this a really allows good us job. to not be too hard on Turin and Neonor yeah. for, for what happens because like, let's be real they like they could not have resisted there is no chance yeah yeah, yeah. um uh there is um yes they are pitted against a foe who is far too great for them like there is yeah. no there are no two ways about that um yeah. so yeah I, I i think that that's really um you know we've revealed that this is in glaurung's arsenal and we've done so at a moment which is not like a climactic moment i mean like the taking of keep hellevorn yeah. is not like the world's biggest yeah. deal um but but a, a good deal is accomplished here, right? Yeah. It, is, it is revealed at this moment, so we're not going to be shocked and confused to see him acting and doing this kind of thing later on. What's more, we've connected it thematically with what we're also revealing about his character, the whole dragon thing and dragon sickness thing, mm. which, I mean... It's not. I mean, like, it's not like dragons being on hordes of wealth is like a new thing that is going to shock right. and surprise the viewers. But nevertheless, we we've not associated that with Glaurung yet. He's been nothing right. but a, you know, a, a a roving you know siege weapon so far. Right. Basically, this um, is this is the very first occurrence of of this trope, right? Yeah. In our world, anyway. Exactly, and showing his 
like personality as well. Like we we see this is the first time we see any hint of like what Glaurung himself cares about. Um, because this, as far as we can see, and, and that's of course the other thing that I love. Like I love the way in which Karanthir and Glaurung are paralleled throughout this whole thing. Right? Mm. Karanthir is a wasting is a waste of time and, he's, and a waste of space. Right? Like, while, meanwhile, his brothers are all doing all this stuff over here. He's just running to like save his own wealth. Right? It's yeah. uh, it's 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 ridiculous and it's counterproductive. But guess what? So is Glaurung. Right. Mm. Glaurung has left the serious battle. Nobody was like, oh, well, but if only we can take Keep Helivorn, then the the battle will be won. Nobody cares about Keep Helivorn. It's in the middle of no. I mean, eventually they'll want to take it. Um, But, you know, if uh, Glaurung had been at, say, Himring, maybe things would have been different. Right. Mm. But instead, Glaurung's indulging himself, just like Karanthir is indulging himself. Right. Um, and I like that. I, I, I love that. You know, the, and, and again, when we're learning more about Glaurung, like what is motivating him? What does he want? What does he get out of things? And it is, you know, it's not shocking. It is, it, it, you know, it, it, it fits the, dra- I mean, it's, it's satisfying to, you know, you don't yeah. always want to resist every trope, right? You know, yeah. some tropes are, are satisfying to see fulfilled. Yeah. And now, I mean, and it's especially when we've got the father of dragons, Right. So this ability to see, like, look, the first dragon gets his first horde, right? Yes. I mean, it's it's uh, it's like an origin story almost, yeah. right? To see uh, to see this, and that's so cool. Uh, so anyway, so I I I love that um, Amras's role in this whole thing is is it falls short of being comical, which is good, yeah. but it skirts the edges of comedy um, yeah. it, it, almost with like uh, you know Karanthir being. Um, Especially since the, uh, the the one of the um, one of the senses that the whole uh, Glaurung Karanthir Amras scene uh, gave was kind of the sense of the, of there being like nobody else around, of it being like just the two of them, and yeah. uh, which is I guess kind of true. Like Karanthir's men yeah. have all run away, and Amras's have like not approached. <laughs> Because yeah. that is, so it kind of is Amras by himself yeah. and Karanthir by himself, but it 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 is a slightly odd kind of like privacy, you know, yeah. over this thing, which is it that felt a little bit weird to me, but I didn't know like I didn't think it necessarily needed corrected, but I think that was the mm-hmm. element that was making me feel like there was something almost almost comical about this because you know we're mm-hmm. kind of the way the way that they're being ice. I don't know. Um, it's, I guess, it, it's not it's that I disliked it. It was just one Abbott of the things Castello that I Castello moment. Is that what you, is that? Yes. What yeah. 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 And, Especially and, with the, like the, you know, the dropping of the treasure chest in him. Like right. Karanthir gets a little bit, um, gets a little bit, uh, um, when he comes out with the treasure, right. Yeah. And being like, okay, you're going to, you're going to help me do that. Like, that seems like such a come down from him. I mean, he's like arrogant and crude and, and, right. and awful in lots of ways. Um, but the like sneaking out with a chest of jewels under his arm seems like a very serious come down yeah. for his character well, before even the confrontation with right. flowering happens. Right. Well, it could, well, first thing, it, he, like it wouldn't, it doesn't even occur to him that Amros wouldn't, be interested in helping save all this gold sure right yeah yeah it um and i think that what i was actually kind of aiming for was for karen to look kind of like um 
a, a, a little bit like the master of, of Lake Town, mm-hmm. you know, right. trying to, to flee right. with the money. Right. Right. Yeah. With the whole dragon uh, sickness thing. Right. So, they, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. is what I was aiming for. Like in the face of like this, this, this guy that's been a blowhard this whole time. And the reality is that character cannot take on Kalara. Right. Like he can't. Right. Right. Um, and to use Glaurung to kind of give him a little bit of a comeuppance mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where he doesn't even get uh, a moment of dignity. Right. right? That's I, I really wanted to make sure that he did not come away from this with a shred of dignity left. And no, the audience should not really be taking him seriously ever right. again at, right. after this. As, you know, like, if they ever, in fact, did. (laughs) We agreed from the beginning that of all the sons of Feanor, uh, Karanthir was the one who was not going to get any character development over the entire course of the Sun Film project. So he was going to start out being a very arrogant jerk, and he was going to end a very arrogant jerk, and no, no character growth, whatever happened for him. So from that point of view, we have consistently written him as comic relief right mm. he's over the top in every scene he's in he yeah. makes decisions that make no sense and he just has to be kind of managed by the characters around him right so right. this is him without characters around him to manage him until right. amrosh shows up so it's it's a it's meant yeah it's just it's just meant to be a he is kind of a pathetic character right right um yeah his only redeeming moment, which isn't even all that redeeming, is his interaction with Talos, <laughs> which right. is now in the past. So right. from here on out, yeah, it's yeah. all he's going to do is get involved in kinslings and get killed. Right. And he is also competent in battle. I mean, he's a great yes. warrior. Yeah, um, which, which is like which comes in, in in episode twelve. You see that, yeah, exactly, right, right, and that was established there, um, though as was his utter inability to stand up to Glaurung, uh, yeah, uh, obviously, um, but of course, I mean, and but that's kind of a lovely thing, right? Is that like the consistency of his jerkitude all the way through is going to uh, make his prowess in battle be a bad thing? by the end, right? Because right. he's going to be applying it in additional kinslings, right? As we, as we yeah. move on towards the end. So, um, uh, that will be no redeeming feature, um, as we move down. In f- okay. I guess he's going to be involved in the near knife as well. I'm trying to think like, is Karanthir ever going to do anything constructive ever again? Um, I, but what he does his, in the near knife is not what I would call constructive. Right. right. His role in the near knife is to invite the the people who are going to betray them to be their allies. Yeah. yeah. So right. he lets himself get sweet talked. Right. By traitors. By traitors, um, and that will be the comparative high water mark of the rest of his career. Because after that, it's yes. uh, nothing but skin slangs until the end. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, right. So okay. Yep. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, it's like I I don't I I thought, but I just I did. Nick, want to give you kudos for the changes that you made. I know we you know talked about this is one of the things mm-hmm. that we kind of spontaneously changed the plan for in our discussions mm-hmm. last time, and I just I thought that it worked really really well. I yeah. loved this. That's why I want to go back and read the uh, read that that speech in particular because um, 
Uh, and I love that your uh, your your stage cue, more conversational, uh, uh, was itself a lovely reference. Uh, you know, setting up, um, you know, the, the anticipation not only of Glaurung's own conversations with Turin, mm-hmm. uh, both uh, you know both of his conversations with Turin, um, but but obviously the conversation with Smaug as well. So I thought that was. Uh, um, and especially like, yes, thief, um, uh, you know, well, thief, uh, of course, is how yeah. Smaug begins his conversation. So um, uh, anyway, that's um, yeah, I, that was lovely. I thought that that went really, really well. Um, cool. So we've got the aftermath and then we've got we, we, gosh, we better hurry. OK, no problem, because yeah. this is the last episode. Um, uh, so we've got Finrod giving the ring. Um, uh, to Bara here and I love how the big deal that Finrod made of that um, about how the thing that I thought was really coolest about that is how Finrod points out like this ring is an heirloom before you get it (laughs) right like this ring which is most famous for being an heirloom for thousands of years after that uh, is already an heirloom right when Bara here gets it so that sense of the way that this ring is a connection back to something greater and and in this case back to Tyrion itself right this is a this is this is a direct link to Valinor um and of course this didn't get played up exactly in the dialogue but I can't help and I don't know that you would want to do this explicitly but this is Bar here this is the heir of Beor right mm-hmm. um you know the they who were seeking the light in the west right with the song that they sang and stuff um and uh that he receives you know this ring which is itself a memory of the light in the west you know from you know that uh, you know when when the trees were uh were i mean they haven't found the light in the west but this thing becomes almost like a symbol of the fulfillment of their quest right there's a there could be a real closing of the loop um of the you know mm-hmm. and it's totally unanticipated right like here we are the last remnant in defeat as the dark the shadows that you thought yeah. you were escaping seems to be rolling over us and yet the you know um you have it you know through your actions by combining together right this alliance between the adine and the eldar there is a callback to the light in the West there. Like there is some kind of achievement. I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly. I I can't think of a really skillful way to, to bring that together. But I thought that there was some real, that was the thing that I was thinking when you were emphasizing the, uh, the heirloomness and connection to Valinor. So he could say something to the effect of, uh, you know, I give this to you in, in addition to in supporting his vow and whatnot in memory of, ancient light and old hope yeah Yeah. and they kind of exchange a knowing look over that because barry here i want to believe believe knows about the old hope and perhaps even believes in it right and of course we can do it with the music as well yeah right like at that like the music that's playing in the background is a reprise Mm -hmm. of the light in the west song right it's not the full choral version right and no one's gonna bust out singing the light of the west at this point Mm -hmm. um but if the score at that moment is doing a reprise (laughs) (laughs) yeah like if that's what's happening while we're getting the glimpse of the Tyrion and stuff then yeah, yeah that 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 i think would would 
would do the work of of yeah. uh, uh, closing that together, which would mm. be uh, a pretty good way to close out the House of Bayor. Except, wait, we still have Andreth uh, to close out the House of uh, uh, Bayor mm-hmm. as well. But yeah. she's not. It's Bara here who really is kind of standing in for the House of Bayor here. Andreth right. is kind of doing her own thing in some ways. Right. She was yeah. resolving. Ch- she's resolving change. Yes. Um, Barra yes. here can resolve hope, and Andreth yes. can resolve change. Um, yep. Yep. Um, okay. Okay. Um, yep. All right. So. Um, the conversation of the Noldor and the House of Hador at uh, Barad Ethel, I. Um, to put on my cinematographer hat, um, I kind of envisioned that as these conversations, they're going back and forth between different individuals, all right? And so the camera's kind of circling around. But Fingolfin is always at the center or near the center of the frame as mm-hmm. as they mm-hmm. go around, even though he's not speaking. And I would love to engineer that in such a way that it wasn't obvious that that was what was happening. You know, right. that you could always see him no matter who was speaking. Right. Um, would be so really important. he's laying the foundation for his decision and what he's planning to yeah. do. Um, yeah. But we don't get it yet. We don't get, we don't get right. it stated or anything. Right. 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 Um, the Mithros and Sauron, I loved that scene. Yeah. That was so good. That was so mm. good. So for folks who haven't read it, um, it's this synopsis of the battle, right? As they're sort of looking back over the battle. And um, on the one hand, there is the statement from like the Elvish side of like what a disaster it's been. And Sauron is assessing it from the bad guy's side and saying what a disappointing, uh, uh, you know what? What disapp- What a disappointing lack of what, what a disappointing failure it's been uh, from Morgoth's mm-hmm. perspective, um, and the way that that kind of dovetails into each other as they're talking about the same things, and we keep flashing back and forth from one side to another. Um, I j- I thought that that worked really really well, and I was mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was it was a f- very cool way to kind of frame, because of course we've established I think successfully established this battle went really badly and you know this was a an almost complete disaster for the good guys i don't think anybody's going to emerge from what we've shown in the last two episodes not thinking that right and yet we need to show the war is very far from over right there is um there's a lot of ground that still needs to be covered um uh because there would be a risk right there would be a risk if if we left people with basically like nothing but the scorched smoking earth of Northern Beleriand right at the end of episode, at the end of season five credits roll. And then at the beginning of season six, we're like, meanwhile in peaceful Doriath and everywhere yeah. else, then the people are like, wait, wait a second. I thought that Morgoth won. Like, are we just taking that back now? Right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. showing that yes, much was accomplished and yes, much was destroyed. But, you know, it's not anything like as complete a victory for Morgoth as it seemed like it might be or might have been. And to have Sauron mm. being the voice of that, being like, you know what, at the end of the day, 
this whole thing was bungled really badly, right? Yeah. Um, it seems a totally fair assessment from Sauron's standpoint yeah. and a perfect thing for Sauron himself to be saying um, to set up, uh, you know, um, what's going to be happening with Morgoth after. Yeah. Um, this was originally supposed to be two different scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a slight mix-up in when we were outlining caused me to take another look at the structure of the the latter half of the episode and I well, wait a minute. I could just, I could just make this one. Why am I making this two scenes? It doesn't make right. any sense because they're right. having the same conversation. It's it, it should have occurred to us earlier that that they're actually talking against each other. Yes. Um, and so, um, so having them almost appear to be speaking in answer to each other. Yeah, um, exactly. So I did, I just talk, just to read a little tiny bit of it, just to, to, to just kind of illustrate how well that works. Mithros is saying, but even if our Western allies survive, the siege is broken. Orcs travel freely through the, through Dorthonian and through East Beleriand. Amra sends word that the dragon has taken Carinthir's keep. Sauron, where he now sits, of no value to our endeavor, having forsaken the mission with which he was entrusted. Uh, even so, surely the Noldor will not soon recover from this defeat, giving us a stepping stone to their downfall. Assuredly, but the ground they have lost, Magwar says, can be regained. Many of our people survive. Yes, but as I say, the siege has been broken. I mean, I like, because it's not just the two of them, right? It's not just yeah. Sauron and My- it, it's like... Yeah. The two of them are like, you know, Mithros is saying, stating that, you know, the negative side from his point of view yeah. and Sauron, the negative side from his point of view. And both of them have somebody who's contradicting them and giving yes. the bright side from their points of view, which are also dovetailing with each other. Yeah. It was just it was so elegantly done. I just loved this. Thank you. It was and, and, and again, it just it, it was this is really essential. Like this scene, I felt was like in a in a kind of. um unexpected and uh, 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 kind of, um, uh, you know, on a, uh, yeah, an unanticipated way, a hugely important setup. Like this is the, this is like what is going to set up the whole situation. This scene is what sets up the whole situation in season five. Um, And I say unexpected because it's not at the end, right? It's not, you know, like this, this kind this comes so early, uh, you know, it's like halfway through the episode or a little bit more than halfway through. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, You know, maybe two thirds of the way through the episode. There's a, there's a whole lot to come, you know, and we won't forget about this, but that's why I wasn't expecting like, the sum up that scene, breakdown. you know, yeah. at that point. Yeah. Like yeah. that kind of well, breakdown. This was, this was important for the, the breath before the plunge feel. Right. 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 Um, I, again, I wanted to have the third act feel very much like we're wrapping something up, but they but we're also leading up to something at the same time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just managing the tension of the, of, of the episode in, in, in that third act lull there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, that is, uh, no, that's really great. So yeah, I just, I just, I, that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode, actually. Now, Finrod and Andreth, uh, tell me about the things that we're, we're sort of needing to accomplish that. Cause we had already mm. this sort of farewell between Finrod and Andreth before, yeah. right. Which was a yes. very moving scene. Um, uh, and you know, the culmination of the Athrobeth and we kind yeah. of like spill back into Athrobeth, land right yes. uh, here yeah. uh yeah. with you know andreth's bitterness bitterness though she 
you know, apologizes for it. Right. Yeah. Um, but we kind of find ourselves back there again. So tell me, tell me what you're, what you were kind of working on there. That was obviously a difficult scene. Right. So it, there were two main things. Finrod's get, got to get to the place where Fingolfin was in a, mm-hmm. back in episode two. He's got to get to that point. He's got to catch right. up with, with Fingolfin. Um, also having this conversation here, leads directly into part of Fingolfin's motivation for what's about to come, right? Um, It explains a key difference. And this is something that that I was mentioning earlier, a key difference from when elves are willing to risk their lives and when humans are willing to risk their lives. Um, Because humans, our our lives are so short. Like, I had an epiphany about this while standing on a ladder 30 feet in the air, (laughs) taking a camera down and having five really angry spiders boil out of it. It was hilarious. Um, But the things that we are willing to take risks for um, in to even to just support and sustain our progeny and our, um, our legacy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because we are historically willing to risk our lives quite haphazardly um, for the mere chance at something better for those who are coming after us. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas elves can kind of afford to kind of step back and say, okay, do I really need to do this? And and yes, if an elf dies, they're going to, they're eventually going to come back, but it's not the same, you know, and they're going to be a lot more careful and cautious as they're considering what the impact of their um, of their actions are going to be. And is it really worth me throwing my life away, my eternal right. existence away? Right, right, right. right. Um, and... So illustrating that and the focus of humans on what's coming after they cease to exist as being more important than their own existence mm-hmm. um, is one of the key elements that was coming out of Andreth's half of that conversation. But also to give Andreth closure, um, she learns the surety of... Uh, I ignore his death, which she is suspected. You know, she's right. not an idiot. She knows what's, she knows the geography of the land. She knows that there's no way that he could have survived. Uh, but to have that clar- that um, confirmation from Finrod, she is able to deal with the loss that she suffered decades ago. At this point, yeah, 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 and yeah. and now it's it's over. You know. And we had, and of course, we worked in the uh, the gifting of Narsil here. Mm. Right. Yeah, which I almost forgot about. Like, <laughs> yeah. I seen the real. Oh wait, Narsil. Oh my goodness. So I had to, yes. I had to put Emelindir back up into the scene and move some stuff around, and um, and and I was able to uh, utilize Gandalf's line about the time that is given, uh, yes. and work that into that. Um, that spot yeah yeah no i uh, i i i like that um um 
yeah, having having her ending up with um, uh, having her ending up with with the sword with Narsil was, you know, it it gives her. It points at least symbolically to like her relationship to posterity, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the, there are two things in this episode that are going to be handed down and still going to be, you know, in circulation, mm-hmm. right? In Aragorn's possession, uh, yeah. you know, at um, at you uh, know, in the Lord of the Rings, and uh, um, and so one of them is transmitted through Andreth, right? And so having her mm-hmm. kind of using that as a, as a way to kind of connect her, her experience, you know, her, um, uh, her, her role in this whole season, right. That, that, you know, and kind of connecting that through, you know, using that to kind of look ahead through and think about her own legacy. Right. And, um, you know, the, the way in which, um, you know, the, the wisdom of Andreth and, uh, and her own role is going to be also, you know, handed down as we move forward. Um, but um yeah yeah and Brian you're certainly right there are a lot of things to a lot of plates to keep spinning uh, as we go through here um and all of the 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 stuff that we're wanting to set up uh for later yeah. um between the things that we're resolving now the things that we don't want to forget that we wanted to pay off from earlier on and the things that we're trying to set up to pay off in 15 years it's uh, a lot to keep straight for sure um Okay, well, let's uh, talk about Fingolfin and Morgoth. Mm-hmm. Um, a little, uh, little thing. Just a little, little thing. thing left. Little thing, yeah. Um, What'd you think? I loved it. Loved mm-hmm. it. I loved it. I was, uh, um, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Like the the way that you, so the scene as it's described in the book is really short, right? Yeah. That's like one of the only things that I've always disliked about that. Uh, you know, it's one of the, you know, the, the most inspiring moments of the Silmarillion and it's in a paragraph, right? It's like yeah. a, just a handful of sentences, the entire thing. So, um, uh, but obviously it's not like we can expand it over for, you know, episodes or something like that. So, but like where it was going to be expanded and how, um, your choice of the seven wounds, right, mm. as the like the 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 place to 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 draw it out, basically, mm. right? I thought was both very natural and very effective, right? Mm. Um, I mean, I think about um, um, ways in which a one-on-one combat like this would be drawn out and made more epic in. Uh, you know, like a Marvel film or something, right? Mm-hmm. In a Marvel film, they would do it by destroying a large percentage of the landscape, yes, uh, yeah. right? You know, uh, in which is kind of happening, which is kind of happening with the craters, yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, um, but uh, you know, I, I, anyway, there are lots of ways in which it could be done. Um, but the way that you not only chose to really emphasize each individual wound that he manages to give to Morgoth, um, but also connecting that back to you know the wrongs that he's done to them um mm. 
uh, I th was really was really cool. I have to admit, the breaking of Ringo I did not see coming. That was the thing mm -hmm. I was surprised by uh, when yeah. we got there. Uh, the re-breaking yeah. of Ringo. Um, I thought it was. I was pretty sure that I thought that it worked. I wasn't a hundred percent confident. I kind of like my, my first input. I mean, it's, it's some, I mean, I've only read it once. So like, I'd need to like reread it and think about it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but on a, on my first reading, I thought it worked. Um, mm. especially cause we were, you know, you were having, you know, visually recalling when he snapped it on purpose. Um, uh, and that was the parallel. Like, I thought that that parallel between his snapping it on purpose and Morgoth snapping it was the like most high risk element of it, and the part that I was not a hundred percent sure worked, mm. um, because the risk there, it seems to me, is that it risks undermining his last moment. Right? Um, mm. He breaks his sword originally because yeah. of the kin slaying, right? I mean it's it's an act almost of atonement, right? Mm -hmm. I you know, for the kin slaying. Um and on the one hand, like the thing that I was thinking that made it that made it work um was that his, the breaking of his sword which has been associated with the kin slaying itself, mm. right? Also explains why Fingolfin has no chance of winning, right? Because yeah. he's still under the curse of Mandos, right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not going to work out well. It's not going to end well for him. And the kinslaying is at the back of part, at least, of why. I mean, the other reason yeah. why it's not going to work out well for him is that this is still Melkor we're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he still is great, even though much lesser. Um, but um, so that element, that, but at the same time, I the risk that I felt that the parallel was taking was that it risks undoing or appearing to undo the progress he's made since that point. Right. I mean, like mm. a lot has gone on with Fingolfin since the time when he broke his sword. Right. Yeah. Um, that was like a, a good step for him. Right. Mm. Uh, in, in a sense of like that, you know, his, his, his repentance, right. For the kinslaying. Um, and, a moment in which we see Fingolfin and Feanor's paths branching, clearly, mm. right? And so I thought it was really effective for that back then in the day. And then, of course, we yeah. see that continuing as, you know, the 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 contrast between the burning of the ships and the crossing of the Hell Caraxo, right? Which is the, you know, sort of the two complementary things, like Feanor's choice and Fingolfin's choice, right? The mm. choice of uh, self-sacrifice and courage versus the choice of you know, selfishness and betrayal. And anyway, there's lots of ways in which that works. And again, yeah. the breaking of that sword was kind of like the signal of that. Um, but, the, but Ringo gets reforged, right? And mm. it's kind of, it becomes therefore sort of part of his new life as a, you know, uh, uh, doing the best he can as a constructive, uh, positive leader, um, in, in, though again, still under the curse of Mando, so it's it's yeah. and I, I, as I say that's why I wasn't reading it, being like, no, I don't like it. It kind of went both yeah. ways for me. Um, so there's a few things that that's designed to do. Um, one is a purely visual thing, and that's to demonstrate that there's something significant about that sword blade, because mm -hmm. when it breaks, there's this flash of light, right, that kind of disrupts Morgoth's what he's doing. 
Um, another thing that's happening is we are calling forward to the defeat of Sauron in yeah. the ba Battle of the Last Alliance and all that, right. um, which, is, which is nice, but it's not critical, right? Uh, but one thing that I thought was kind of important is because Morgoth makes this thing about how he's going to, to send Fingolfin to meet with Feanor, right? Right. And I wanted to have this serve kind of as a reminder of the fact that Fingolfin has committed a lot of the same sins as Feanor, right? right? His hubris and his pride has played a tremendous role in bringing him here. Right. Right. And it also says to Fingolfin, yeah, you, um, you made this change in your life, but you still can't beat me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and of course, Fingolfin's response to that is, I, I don't need to beat you. Right. Like my role in this story is complete. I've done everything I need to do. And there's that that peace in his uh, in his demeanor as he realizes and accepts that, right? The, the, over the course of the fight, there was this this transition from the rage of his approach to the kind of like, oh, I I stuck my foot in right in this, didn't I? To kind of the this is going unexpectedly well to the acceptance of the mythic moment right 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 um yeah and the the very like the successfulness the success of the success successfulness the success of his stab with the shards of the sword right mm. um so you're i mean if you're establishing if we if, we, if you were wanting to recall the kinsling as you said like you know fingolfin mm. was a part of that and there are parallels there with feanor um yeah. but um but he's also he's also not Feanor, right? I mean, he does, right. despite right. the broken sword, strike back at him. So, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm broken. I'm not perfect. Right. But I right. I can still do. And I'm still under the curse. I, right. Yeah. It, yes. Exactly. Yeah. I can still accomplish my my tasks. Yeah. Everybody's about had it. I could see it. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, so I, um, I thought that the onlookers were really effective. Um, that's Brian, by the way. That's all yeah. Brian. Um, also, the bringing up of the "you did this to me," like mm -hmm. that's all Brian. I, they, yeah. uh, I had written out and, and of course in a real script a lot of those paragraphs of of fight scene would just be they fight some more right brian um, wrote but, the fight scenes no no no, no, no. They, they, I'm, I'm just saying that what i wrote was was far beyond what you would normally see in a script as right. far as the detail of the fight, the um, of the fight. yeah because you, you would ask for the seven wounds to be significant so i wanted to yeah. make sure i gave all yeah. of that and yeah. and i so I did a blow by blow that a scriptwriter typically wouldn't do, right. um, and so there was just all that and relatively little dialogue. I think the the line from Morgoth uh, at the end and the most of the first line from Fingolfin at the beginning of the fight uh, were there, 
and there was just they fought in silence in between um but the additional accusations that's from uh from brian and from marie as well so i loved that i love that i mean the um and even you know and so marie you know the the part of this whole scene that made me tear up uh the part of the scene that made me tear up was the for feanor part uh yeah. that was so beautiful so beautiful as the as the culmination of i mean just the way that it makes you think back to Fingolfin and Fanor's long mm. and very complicated relationship. But, um, yeah. you know, that at the end, one of the things Fingolfin would be fighting for is, you know, um, uh, against Morgoth for what he did to Fanor, right? Is yeah. I, that was just, that was, that was the most beautiful of all of them. Uh, I mm. thought that uh, really, that was, I said, that was. That was the place where I started to cry uh, when I was when I was uh, when I was reading it. Um, that was very very effective. Um, mm. uh, the other thing that was a little bit risky, and this is my last point. The last point that was a little bit risky um, was the sort of like quasi telepathic thing that's happening also with all the other mm. like elf persons. You know, we got yeah. Turgon and um, now on the one hand, what I loved about it was. Um, that this scene, right, that the fight between Fingolfin and Morgoth is, like, resounding through mm. the continent, you know, yeah. seemed exactly right. You know, um, yeah. even though there was a part of me which was like, what What are the mechanics of this exactly? Like, how exactly? I mean, it's one thing. Like, I was able to buy with no problem Finrod, like, being aware of the deaths of his brothers. Yeah. Partly because it's Finrod and he's 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 got the whole telepathic thing. But, you know, anyway, like that, I, that didn't strain my disbelief. But I'm like, wait, how are they knowing what's going on they, here? They hear Morgoth. Yeah, the connection here is uh, Lama, where um, yeah. Morgoth, yeah. of course, cried out when right. Ungoliant was hurting him. And how that echoes forever in that place. So the idea is here is if Morgoth is crying out in pain, you don't necessarily have to be right there to hear that. Right. That's no, that I. That he, Morgoth is projecting right. this yeah. out to the whole world. Right. So they're that not I actually liked. observing what's happening. They're right. not aware of what's what's happening. We may be kind of hinting that through our cinematography and whatnot, but they they aren't actually aware of what's happening. But they do know that something big is happening. And so, for example, Mithros has a definite sensation that, oh, Fingolfin went ahead and did it anyway. And right. he at least has hand, reason to think that. Now, like Turgon right. has no reason to have any idea what's going right. on. He's right. he's just he's just looking out like what is going on out there, right? right? right. Um, but Mithros and what I wanted to to get was this idea that Mithros, on one hand, but still believes that everything he did was the correct thing to do, while still wishing he could have been there alongside right. Fingolfin. Right. Right. Yes. Because maybe, maybe if the two of them were there, or maybe if three or four more of the elf lords were there, maybe that looks different. Of course, if that happens, Morgoth never comes out. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Real. Exactly. Yes. Could you but, come out and let us fight you five on one? That's really what yeah, we would no. prefer. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But no, I, I I love that. I mean, again, like you know, Mythros wasn't wrong, but that sense of helplessness. Not only the fact that obviously from Mythros's perspective, Fingolfin is living the dream right now 
right? Yes. Like that is Mithros' dream. Like that is what Mithros, like in Mithros' heart of hearts, what he wants more than anything else is to be able to, you know, go toe to toe with Morgoth. Yeah. Like that is, um, and Mithros is never going to get to do that, right? And right. we know that that will never happen. Um, right. But again, it's another one of those, it just kind of adds to that sense of like, helplessness but regret uh, but you yeah. know not regret in the sense of i really wish i had done things differently but regret that things have worked out this way and yeah. um you know turns out we were both kind of right and and, yeah. <laughs> and you know but both also kind of wrong and yeah. um yeah well, we can yeah. definitely pay that off in season seven yeah with Mithras. um mm-hmm. yeah. any regrets that Mithras has will come out at that time yeah right yeah exactly exactly um but the I think that the most important part of the whole fight scene is when it's over, mm-hmm. right? After Fingolfin's been killed and Thorndor comes and it's revealed that Thorndor is the one from whom we've been getting all these arrow shots with the <laughs> GoPro on his back, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. Or at least the other eagles, right? Keeping an eye on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes down and he takes Fingolfin's body. And Morgoth is now just standing there by himself and has to slowly walk, limp back. Limp back, yes. The limp is, is super important. And yeah. it's just like, and one thing I really wanted to convey in the script was this sense of how long that trip takes him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that, how. Oh, man. I, I, that could be such a powerful scene, right? Like, and I'm imagining like silence, no music, like yeah. silence, no sound, but the thud, like the, the like step drag, step drag of right. Morgoth across while we get like the shocked faces of Gothmog and the shocked face of Thorin Gwethil and of Sauron, right? Everybody looking on as like, you know, as, as Morgoth goes limping back uh, into Thangor. He's going to seem so defeated. Yeah. He's going to seem so defeated after this whole thing where everything has kind of gone his way. And right. it's just not going to feel like a win. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I just love that. I just love that. Oh, by the way, one, one small touch. Um, Turgon, uh, when we get Turgon, um, can, uh, can we get ash falling in Gondolin mm. or something? Like the, yeah. fl- the fires, like some kind of, like some kind of evidence of the of the of the fires of i don't know i've just got i know ashfall like that kind of seems like a volcanic eruption sort of thing but i'm just thinking of like the when the entire like dorthonian's right next to it right and it's all been on fire so some kind of evidence uh i mean because i was just kind of putting i couldn't help but putting myself into turgan's place and sitting there Mm. being like what's he thinking like gosh it's been awful smoky and now all of a sudden these you know yells from up north i wonder what's happening we've been in during uh during the the war of the powers thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of it. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining him, him listening to the, um, the, the sound of Morgoth's cries from the North and like, you know, holding out his hand and, you know, having ash falling through the, uh, you know, through, through the sky, you know, I don't know. So it's something, as you say, like the, like Quivianen, um, he is sheltered. His people are safe. But he knows that bad stuff has been happening, and now you know um, he's going to learn uh, later. Do we get? Do we get the? Do we get Thorondor returning the body? Does that happen here? Yes. Yeah, it happens in, yeah. in the um, the montage at the very end, uh, where yeah. we establish where okay. some of our key players wound up and whatnot. 
right, right. Okay. I, I couldn't remember if we saw that. I was pretty sure that we did. Um, mm. But anyway, so that we know we're cluing in. Um, um, do we see Mygwen? Mygwen there? Probably Mygwen yes, is there with him? Yes, he's there yeah. at, the, at the Cairn, at the yeah. Cairn. Okay. Um, looking at Idril rather than the Cairn where he should right. be looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in other words, being gross. Right. Needless to say. Right. Yeah. Um, beginning his uh, uh, full time career of creeping people out. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Excellent. Well, I that was uh, do we do we get a teaser image at the end? Other than I mean, Minas Tirith and the older brother. But um, did we this, we've done it before. Yeah. But do we. I didn't have anything to really I mean, there's there's a whole little montage at the end, um, which goes through a few things. Um, we get Barris, right? Barry Hears Band is in that montage. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that's yeah. So that's the teaser. That is yeah. calling forward to next season, but it's not yeah. like called out as like the after credit scene or anything like that. Right, it's right, just yeah, right. one of the montage elements. Um, yeah. So yeah, unlike the last seasons, we don't have something really big and new that we're teasing because we've, we've set up Barry Hears return to Darthonian in the episode already. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Barry here at the uh, at the campsite, and Sauron holding uh, holding the shattered remains of Ringo is are the two things that are kind of calling forward to what's going on. While there are wolves in the background by Sauron eating Rochalor, uh, Rochalor. Right. Right. Grim. Yeah. Right. Couldn't have spared a second eagle to save the body of the horse, I guess. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Priorities, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yes, the contemplative look up. Oh, man. Season six is going to be such an important Sauron season. Like, this mm -hmm. is like a, it's like one of the turning points of Sauron's career. Well, yeah. two of the turning points of Sauron's career <laughs> will both be happening. Um in uh in season six so awesome well we um it's really i can't even tell you how tempting to um talk more about this but i'm not because we're going to talk about season six later um this is a spectacular ending to season five um the and uh so season six is primarily going to be the Baron and Luthien season. It's the shape of the Baron and Luthien story that's going to dominate season six. There's obviously a lot to follow up on from what we've been doing. Um, one of the things that we know is going to be different with season six from uh, the Silmarillion account uh, of the Baron and Luthien story is that the Baron and Luthien story kind of like forgets the rest of Beleriand while it's happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really just focuses on that story alone. Um, mm -hmm. And we're clearly not going to be able to do that. We're going to need right. to be, you know, keeping it in the context of everything else that's happening. So that's going to be one really interesting, while nevertheless, obviously keeping it the central story um, of, uh, of the whole season. So that's going to be really interesting to think about. But anyway... Um, we are going to take a short break. Um, we are going to resume uh, session one of season six will be on December 2nd. We're going to uh, stay at the same time. So Thursday, December 2nd uh, will be our very first uh, session um, as we will begin the uh, begin to indulge what we've been waiting for for years now. Uh, and that is the planning and discussion of the major themes and ideas of season six and beginning to 
plan out the shape of it and talking about what we need to do and how we're going to do that. So um, that is going to be a great deal of fun. Um, so thanks, everybody. Thanks for all everything you've done. My goodness, looking back at season five, when was our first episode of season five? The very beginning of the pandemic, right? Wasn't it? Right. It was March of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. March of 2020 is when we began season five. So um, it has, um, it's been a long time. So now time. the pandemic will end. Except <laughs> because, right. It was, it was just waiting for the end of season five. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, so. Saving the world one episode at a time. That's it. Right. Or you know, I get, oh, well, let's <laughs> hope it doesn't turn out that we just prolong things by making season five so long. So anyway, <laughs> that, that's a two edged sword right there, Nick. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, looking forward to get, to jumping into uh, season six and all the fun that we've been uh uh, deferring uh, now for a long time. Um, so look forward to everybody joining us on December 2nd um, for the next exciting chapter of our project. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.